Let's Comics! Hey, Michael. Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. But you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then we sing badly. Yes, well, badly is purely subjective. But how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Aches comics every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com. I sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. Yahoo! <laughs> We're doomed. I don't like this. No! Really pissed me off. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. No! Hello and welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday. I'm Chris Honeywell and I'm here with my fellow Star Wars fan, Scott Gardner. Hey! And we are up to episode number 30 of Star Wars Monthly Monday. Awesome. So we're awesome. just awesome. stacking them up. Yes. Stacking no, them up uh, like so many back issues. Now, first off, I want to say I think you did a fantastic job um, on, on very short, very, very, very short notice last month with uh, with your uh, interesting interpretation Why, of uh, the Star Wars novelization. It, it cracked me up very much. I, I really did enjoy what? that. But what? what, you thought it was funny? I did think it was funny. Well, obviously, you cannot comprehend real art man <laughs> that was like that was like a PBS you know masterpiece theater episode I used I brought every bit of my acting experience to that PBS um, pu- pu- uh, public bullshit system I I, I don't know <laughs> no I did I enjoyed it I, it cracked me up because I, I like that you went with you know, totally different music, totally different sound effects, hilarious voices for the characters. I got a real kick out of it, so I enjoyed it, whether the listeners did or not. <laughs> well, who knows? Yeah, who cares? Who cares? <laughs> but I enjoyed it. It amused me. Well, if, we, they, if they didn't enjoy it, we're back to normal now. Yep, we <laughs> I promised back. them at the end of yeah. that episode it would be like that. So <laughs> at the beginning, somewhere in there, I made the promise that it would be back to normal and. 
I was I, good I, on my word. I felt bad that I couldn't couldn't be a part of this because I'm telling you, I know I keep saying this, but damn it, I'm just going to keep saying it. I love the era of Star Wars comics that we are getting to. So I am. Well, you didn't me. miss anything. So. <clears throat> yes, yes. Thank you. For, so it's uh, just all the longer that that will draw out these <laughs> Marvel comics. Well, thank you for halting progress to wait for me. <laughs> yes, the world came to a screeching. The Star Wars <laughs> universe came to a screeching halt. Yes. <laughs> I appreciate that because I, I was. <clears throat> you gotta excuse me, folks. I'm sorry. I'm I'm getting over um, some horrible ailment. That's get, that's that's the drawback, right? You know, people believe it or not. I get this question quite a bit lately. You know, now that I'm working where I'm working, I'm constantly getting the question. You know, so what's it like? You know, what's what they want to know the downs. I don't know what it is about human nature. Everybody just right. you know, it, things just can't be just wonderful. There has to be a downside to everything. So everybody's always asking me, so what's the downside? What's the downside? Well, here's the downside is that I work at Germ Central Station. That's the downside. I've been sick more in the last six months than I have in the last six years prior to taking this job. That's honestly, that's it. That's You're the getting only germs from around the world. Around the world, yes, literally. So, but here's, yes. here's, I wonder if this will happen. I wonder if over the course of time, you know, if you're going to be sick for a while, if you're just going to... De- you know, develop the mother of all immune systems. You know what I mean? Like people who work at hospitals and stuff. I'm, I'm kind of hoping because I, you know, I, I fall into two categories of thought on this is that, you know, there's, there's the old adage of, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But then right. somebody on the old it kills you. <laughs> had a, yeah, they had a great, you know, everybody has like their, their little signature on their, on their things, you know, on their avatar or whatever. And I cannot for the life of me remember who it was because I really wish I could give credit where credit's due. But anyway, there's Red. Um, whatever doesn't kill you leaves you vulnerable to the next attack. Exactly. Great. You know, that was like video game thinking, you know, so I thought that was great. So, yes, I'll either, you know, as you say, develop the mother of all immune systems or, you know... This shit will kill me in pretty quick, quick quarters. So. Yeah, my, ad- my advice is start becoming a junkie to vitamin C. Oh yeah, yeah. Any, any kind of liquid form, those little packets of vitamin C, just you know, boost boost yourself up. Because not only is it from around the world, it's like it's like um, people that I've known who are like kindergarten teachers. It's little kids, you know. Little kids aren't shy about sneezing and smearing their grubby little paws all over everything. Yep, not at all. Grubby little talons. (laughs) I buy those packets of vitamin C drops. You know, they they look like you know they look like little hard candies. Yeah, like a little. uh, uh, Oh, you know what I'm talking about? Lozenges or something? Yes, you. That's it. Yeah, and I just I you know I constantly are are eating those things during the course of a day. So I'm hoping that's doing something. I'm feeling better today. It's just my voice hasn't quite recovered yet because I got a throat full of crud. Well, I'm hoping your voice gets better because I got some voice acting work for you for one of my (laughs) upcoming projects. Yes, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I'm sure you are. (laughs) That is going to be I knew it was a job for you. That's that's all I have to say. (laughs) When the job came up, I knew who was going to have to punch the time clock on that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy to do so. I'm really sorry that I missed... Well, actually, I don't think you ever... Did you ever get to any speaking parts of Princess Leia? No. Oh, yes. Yes. But just the part where, you know, she first meets Darth Vader. I didn't get to the... I, I really... 
was dying to do Aunt Brew and Uncle Owen would have been a riot. And uh, and Han Solo, I, I, I had some plans for Han Solo's voice too. And, and Chewie would have been a lot of fun to figure out how, to, how to do a new, you know, a new Chewie voice. But, uh, <laughs> I wanted to do Princess Leia so bad. Yeah. <laughs> bet actually, you did. Actually, <laughs> anyway, I wanted to uh, perform <laughs> the voice of Princess Leia too. Um, but anyway... <laughs> Uh, let's see. We had some preamble stuff we wanted to talk about. What was it? Because I don't remember. Uh, well, I bought a new Star Wars comic or two. You bought the same one I've been buying. Oh, the Darth Vader and the Lost Command? Yes. I like and, it. Uh, I like it a lot. It's a sort of a follow-up of that one, that painted one that you had me, you know... There's, there's even some reference to it of, you know, in, in so far as like, okay, Vader, don't fuck it up this time in this one, you know, like you did the last time. But, uh, yeah, I really like it. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm loath to sort of give away like anything about it cause it just came out, but, uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm a little frustrated right now because I missed issue number two, so I have issues number one and three. If, if you're if you're desperate enough for you, the last time I went up to the the comic shop that I've been going to on a on a semi regular basis up in Sanford, he had a bunch of copies of number two left. So I mean, if you're that desperate for it, you no, know, I'm I, I'm I not desperate. It's just that I've been going to the comic shop that's closer, and I just have uh-huh. to go to the one that's a few extra blocks over, and they'll have it all. They'll have all the, the back issues. There. Hey, that reminds me. I've got a recommendation for you. There he and, is. Uh, I know you'll appreciate this. Um, I know that you're a big fan of of toilet reading material. Mm-hmm. You know that that you love to have something handy at the shitter. You know when you're oh, when you're planning to spend the time. Some time in the office. You know. Mm-hmm. So I found the perfect thing for me, which is anthologies. So I have been picking up on the extreme cheap those trades that they put out for Star Wars Tales, which were those little anthology stories that were coming. Remember that series? Yeah, yeah. I have quite a few of those. I used to really like that. It was hit and miss sometimes, but sometimes they would get some really great underground cartoonists because... You know, everybody loves Star Wars. So all of a sudden you would see some, like, really bizarre underground cartoonist doing a Star Wars story. And you could tell they were just having a field day, you know. Yeah, I used, I used to like those. I've managed to track down. There, there's six of them all together, six trades. And I finally managed to track down one through five. And it's weird because I've bought them in, in like, reverse order. Uh-huh. I finally got number one the other day. And I got it really cheap. And, uh... Uh, the only one I need is number six. For some reason, I can't find that one inexpensively. It, it's uh, I, I wonder if maybe the print run was really short or something like that, or maybe it's brand new or something. I uh-huh. don't know. But I, but anyway, I've got one through five. So I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna start reading. I'm gonna work in, on these, as I say, you know, just as toilet reading, you know. So I went in earlier today to to you know do my business and took uh, the first volume in with me. Very first story in there completely blew me away awesome awesome art and it was a short darth vader story where uh it was really cool darth vader goes before the emperor and uh he's met there by the emperor and mara jade and mara jade has come basically to show vader up vader shows up tells the emperor that 
he's basically calling an end to his mission to take out um, the remainder of the Jedi that he's killed all of them that he can find he can't find anymore and Mara Jade shows up just pretty much to be a bitch and show Vader up in front of the Emperor and says well I found one that you missed and she's thinking that the Emperor is going to dispatch her because she's basically trying to win the Emperor's favor right, away right. from Vader well the Emperor dispatches Vader anyway which really pisses her off and then at that point it becomes just a Darth Vader story Darth Vader goes to this planet to find this this Jedi and hunt her down and kill her. Well, what really blew me away with this, it's the Dark Woman, which who is like, I was going to say she's a major player. She's not so much a major player, but she, she was an important player in a lot of the stuff I was just reading that was reprinted from that Star Wars Republic series. Oh. You know, the, the series that was Star Wars and then it became Star Wars Republic. Right. I mean, I had just been reading about this character and her role, you know, in the Jedi Council and all that sort of... So I was very familiar with who she was, had no idea that there's actually a story out there where, you know, that t- took place post-Clone Wars where she and Vader faced off, and it was great. So I finished the story, looked back at the credit page just to see who had done the art, because um, I wasn't familiar with the artist, but I loved the art. It was beautiful. And I can't remember who the artist was, but damn if that story wasn't written by Ron Mars. I just met him at Megacon. Ah. I wish I had read this story like a yeah. month earlier. I would have loved to have gotten it signed. It was a really, really good story, and it was really cool to see those two characters have this final confrontation I, i'll have really, to go through mine i may really have cool. that because i have probably like the first 25 issues of that or something like that yeah. when it was well, if, coming if, out because i was like because at that time that was a star wars comic that i could get and not have to worry about keeping up with and right. eventually i lost interest in it because they were like well, we don't really like this format of anthology. We're still going to do an anthology, but it's going to be, you know, four continuing stories with continuing characters. Right. And I was like, I'm out, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not falling for that. That's exactly why I, you know, why I was reading this was... And I, I, the, my two favorite stories is there's a great one with Vader on Cloud City where he finds, you know, the, the, the torn up 3PO... Right. And has a little flashback that's really nice, really beautifully illustrated. And there was one, I'm not sure who the artist was. He was an underground artist, and I can't remember his name. But it was basically just the adventures of the Max Rebo band. And they were just sort of like this bohemian, you know, they were just your typical, like, deadbeat, you know, band people. And, and, you know, their adventures just going on around the, you know, like Jabba's Palace. Stop that Jawa or something, something like that. Something like that, right? yeah. yeah. It was very yeah. comedic and just goofy, but like really like intricately drawn in a cartoon style. It was really cool. Those those two always like stand out in my memory as, as two really good ones. But they were always, you know, always some really good ones. There, I, I remember there was a really tr- cheesy one about you know, following Greedo from when he was a little kid that hung around with Anakin into how he went bad and became, it was, it was <laughs> terrible. Terrible. <laughs> well, that's, that's the interesting thing is that they're, you know, they're, they're kind of hit and miss. Yeah. But I like, you know, I like discovering the gems that are in there and then seeing the talent that worked on him because I'm, I'm, I'm always surprised 
by some of the people that are working on these. Uh, you know, like uh, I read one today. It was a Peter David story. I was like, damn, I didn't know Peter David ever did any Star Wars. So it was really cool, you know. Well, it's a perfect opportunity for all for people to just do stuff because it's just a nice little short story, you know, that they, right. you know, that they can fire Get it out off. Of and, the system, and, yeah. You know, just like I said, everybody, you know, there's – well, I mean – Everybody doesn't like Star Wars, but when you start getting into nerd world of comics writers and artists and stuff, you can pretty much guarantee that a good, solid majority of them would love to write a Star Wars story or, or draw one. Absolutely, absolutely. And there's there's a, there's a lot of uh, of talent that you know I've enjoyed over the years that suddenly I'm finding that hey, you know they they did Star Wars, you know, in this series. That's cool. I've been enjoying that a lot. Also, I need to give a shout out uh, and big, big, big thanks to uh, our buddy Kirk Landry. He sent me, you know, he, he messaged me a while ago and he was like, hey, uh, aren't you reading Star Wars books right now? And I was like, yeah, you know, I've been trying to work my way through them and, you know, uh, you know, reading them, you know, as I can get to them and all that. And I've been trying to collect them. And he was like, well, you know, I've got these uh, these Star Wars books on eBay. They haven't been doing very well. I've listed them several times. He goes, I'll tell you what, you know, when they close out this last time, whatever doesn't sell, you know, you can have them if you want them. And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, so I gave him my address and everything. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to get, you know, a couple, you know, paperbacks in the mail. Or paperbacks, yeah. Yeah. I get this gigundous friggin' box, dude. I mean, a huge ass box in the mail from him. And it's all these hardcover Star Wars books. I mean, like first editions in beautiful condition. There was like the Star Wars encyclopedia was in there. Oh, wow. Um, that Han Solo trilogy that I was just reading, uh -huh. and I'm, I'll be reviewing on the show here pretty soon. Um, I'm going to send that to you. As a matter of fact, it's, it's a hardbound edition of all three books collected in one edition. But a whole bunch of books. The, the Timothy Zahn trilogy was in there. Um, just this ton of books. Now, a lot of them I'm going to end up keeping because I needed them for my own collection. But there's a, a nice, sizable stack of stuff that I'm going to end up using as uh, both trade fodder and um, for contests for the show at some point. So as soon as you and I can uh, can figure out a good way to come up with uh, with some Star Wars contests, I'll be giving away some nice yes. Star Wars hardcover books. So we just need to come up with something for that. But I, I wanted to say a very public uh, thank you on the show to Kirk Landry for that, which uh, I actually got not long after that. I actually got to thank him in person. Uh, he and his uh, and his wife and uh, I think his kids were with him, too. But the day I, I, I met up with him, it was just he and his wife. Uh, they were here vacationing. So I got to meet up with him briefly and uh, and shake his hand and talk to him. Heck of a nice guy, just just the nicest guy and big fan of the show and everything. And I told him how much I really really appreciated the books. But uh, like I say, I wanted to publicly thank him. So thanks very much, Kirk. That was very very nice of you. And uh, I felt bad that you spent a fortune in shipping to send all that stuff to me, but that was really really cool, and I really did appreciate it. So thank you very very much. And I. Uh, We'll be passing that Han Solo trilogy on to Chris. As I, I can't wait. Yeah, it's. I'm telling you, dude. I, I feel badly because uh, our buddy um, Drake uh, Payton has been waiting on me forever to get past training and all this other stuff I had going on. So to do a show about that. Get together. Yeah, we're definitely going to. I don't know if we'll do a full show or just a segment, but one way or the other, we are going to hook up and we're going to discuss the uh, AC Crispin Han Solo trilogy. 
Um, I'll just spoil that I loved it. I loved it, and I think you'll love it. I think you will really enjoy it because it's they are solidly written books. And well, uh, I, I mean, the, the the thing that the the well, besides the fact that you were recommending them, um, the fact that AC Crispin wrote them was mm-hmm. uh, was um, a big a big deal with that because I don't know, I'm very picky about my my literature. Right, you know, and and sometimes you know the 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 those tie-in books are you know very hackily written. You know what I mean? Yes. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, I will completely agree, but not and, these. But these yeah, are- but AC Crispin, I know she's got her chops. You know, she puts yep. she puts some thought into into stuff, and she she writes well. You know what I mean? She writes absolutely. You know, it's it's not awkward or it's just yeah, she's. She's a good author, so I'm I'm looking forward to that, and I haven't I haven't had anything like that to um to read lately. So yeah, I think you'll really enjoy it because I I did I walked away going wow that was great, and uh, and I, I I think part of what what really helped me enjoy it is I went in with very low expectations. I mean I like Han Solo just fine. You know I like Han and Chewie. They're you know they're great characters and all. And maybe it was just having been kind of burned by the original Han Solo trilogy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I went in just thinking, eh, this will be kind of a schlog. And it wasn't. I mean, it was a page turner. As soon as I realized, hey, this is pretty good, then I got sucked right in. And it became one of these, wow, that was great. Let me go right on to the next book. I mean, I, I'm a very, very slow reader. But I plowed through those books in, in just a few days and loved them. So, yeah, I, I think you'll really get a lot out of it. But uh, I gotta I I gotta slow down and save it because uh, I promised Drake that we would uh, do a do a thing about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So. But uh, yeah, I was very very enthusiastic about it. So at this point, I've I've read through those. I'm on the last of the uh, the Lando Calrissian books. So I'm slowly creeping up to uh, to the trilogy itself, and then you know I'll be going on from there. I I can't wait to actually get past that. And into the post Return of the Jedi stuff, and at this point, I really don't have too many books uh, until I get to, to that go. point. So yeah, I'm lo- I'm looking forward to it. But there's still there's some good ones in the interim. You know, I've got uh, um that the one that's the video game time. Oh, what the hell is the name of that? Uh, Force Un- Force Unleashed. Okay, okay. Which yeah. I'm looking forward to because I, I I don't I really don't know anything about it. You know, I, I've never played the game or anything, so I really don't know anything about it. So I'm looking forward to that and. Death Star, which everyone says is a really good book, and I think that's about it. And then I, I can get into the, uh, you know, the trilogy and the post trilogies. I, I still need to reread the Brian Daly um, Han Solo books. Han Solo I'm, ones. Those I'm not looking for. Yeah, right? Maybe you'll like them better now. Yeah, maybe I will. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to give him a bit of a break though, just because he's not with us anymore, you know. So, but, but anyway, that's what's going on with me, uh, Star Wars wise. Just, just an aside. Mm-hmm. That's very nice of you, but death doesn't improve writing at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's you know, it, uh, I mean, if you're a painter, it might improve the value of your painting after you uh, <laughs> after you kick the bucket. But you know, I mean, I, I I'm I'm not happy that Brian Daly's passed on, but. <laughs> I, I mean, I liked his. Uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he wrote the the radio show, right? Yes. See, I loved that. Yeah, I thought yeah, that yeah. was great. It's just, 
I, uh, I know. I, I, I those were some of the first. I, I was so excited to get those books. Um, my horrible, evil uncle. One of the few good things he ever did that I can remember was to give me um, the Han Solo and the and the um, Lando Calrissian trilogies. Cause, and I was, you know, because I'd read the only thing outside of you know the movies at that point was Blinner of the Mind's Eye. I believe right. so. You know, I, and I remember like you know like literally like after leaving his apartment like getting in the car and like cracking open stars end and like starting it and like going this isn't very exciting at all right yeah <laughs> I now, don't did know you read the, like the lando calrissian books i read the lando calrissian books i don't remember much about them but i do remember that i liked them a lot better than the han solo books they were yeah. they were a lot they were a lot more action packed and and interesting than the Han Solo books, which was the exact opposite of what I expected. I was, and after reading the Han Solo books, I was like, eh, I don't know about reading these Lando Calrissian books. But then I was like, hey, these are much better. But See, I wasn't, I wasn't aware I that you had ever it was read a long them. time ago. Because yeah, I'm rereading those now, and and this is the first time I've reread them since I read them initially when they came out in I think in '83. Yeah, or something about, like that. Right about the time when these comics were coming out. And I remembered really liking them, and I remembered um, his sidekick, the robot sidekick, and that was about all I remembered. Yeah. And uh, and I'm very pleasantly surprised how much I like them. And and each book kind of kind of builds and gets better. Well, Lando, Lando's character has a lot of potential, you know. Oh yeah, he's, he's he's you know a flawed character, so that makes for interesting stories for sure. And and especially since they're they're, they're kind of prequel, aren't they? They're kind yeah, of yeah, pre, yeah, they know, take pre- place Empire. even before the right. Han Solo stuff because he's got the Falcon and everything. Right, right. Well, one one thing that really helps with those is he has a solid villain in those because uh, Rooker Gepta is a badass in those and i really like that character in in the i'm in the third book right now and they're really giving you a lot more backstory on him where he comes from and and how he got to be the way he is and everything how he got to be so damn evil yeah and he's he's basically like uh he's 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 in the first book he kind of came off as like okay this is the token darth vader of the story but by the second and eventually the third one, when you start to get more of his backstory, you realize that, okay, uh, certainly on the surface, he's Darth Vader. But deep down, this guy has roots that really go back to more like Mordru or somebody like that, uh-huh. you know, where, where he's this evil sorcerer guy, you know, with this deep, dark history and all that. And it's really good stuff. So I, I'm enjoying it quite a bit. But again, I gotta save it for <laughs> for the actual reviews on that <laughs> material. But uh, that's all I got. All right. So hey, are we ready to uh, march into these uh, comic books? I think so. All right. Geeking the Geek is a podcast for the geek and everyone. Please join your host, Peregrine and D-Man, each week as they discuss all the things that geek guys love to talk about from the sci-fi, fantasy, and comic genres. For movies, TVs, comics, novels, and games, seek out Definitive Geek. Available on iTunes or at definitivegeek.automatic.com.
rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The next chapter in the Star Wars saga. Join the further adventures of Luke Skywalker. Han Solo. Princess Leia. Lando Calrissian. Chewbacca. C-3PO and R2-D2. And Darth Vader. Revenge of the Jedi, coming next summer to a theater in your galaxy. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. This month, we have uh, three issues of, of Marvel Star Wars. We're going to start out with issue number 66, The Water Bandits, from uh, December 1982. So, um, I have a normal comic this time with a 60-cent cover instead of some weird Canadian 75-cent. It looks like a Palmer and Simonson cover. Because the art on the cover matches, there's some Simonson line strokes to it, but it doesn't have anybody's name on it, but it has two W's on the bottom of it, on, on a stick, and I'm wondering, could that be like, wasn't this around the time Wally Wood died? Do you think they might where, have put Wally... Where are Wall you seeing that with the two 
In the bottom right-hand corner, there's a stick with two W's on it. Oh, you're right. I hadn't even seen that. And I saw the W, and I thought at first, okay, it's going to be Walt Simon. It's going to be like a WS, and then I see two W's on it. And, uh, yeah. So I, I was thinking maybe this might be, like, dedicated to Wally Wood or, so you know, something, because there's nobody else's name on it. But, damn, it looks like Simonson and, uh... And Palmer for sure. My understanding is that it's Palmer alone, but yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even notice the WW on there. I looked that up just out of curiosity, and the and the resource I looked up said it was just Palmer. And there is some ink lines though that look like Simonson. Yeah, in the rocks above Luke and stuff. You know what I mean? Just some of the yeah. hash marks on the rocks and stuff. And the mushrooms and the weird stuff and the lizards at the bottom of it. Those are all very Wally Wood space, you know, pictures. So I think this must have been right around when Wally Wood died and they just could be. They just put it, his initials down there. But anyway. Well, if you look just to the left of the UPC right there, there's a, a P for Palmer right there. But that's, oh, you're that's right. That's the only other uh, you are initials correct. I see on it anywhere. I did not. I, and I looked all over the place. I didn't even see that. So, okay. <laughs> so, um, but... Inside, we got Dave Michelini as the writer again, uh, Walt Simonson doing the breakdowns, and Tom Palmer doing the finished art, Janice Chang doing letters, Glennis Wine doing colors, Louise Jones editor, and Jim Shooter with his novelty title is Vaporator Maintenance this month. And uh, so this is, <laughs> this is the Water Bandits. Let me put my reading glasses on. So uh, after being left behind after the Battle of Gulrath, uh, Luke flees the Imperials to a planet in the uh, Beheboth, Beheboth, I don't know, Beheboth system, probably not meant to be spoken out loud. So Luke lands on this desert planet and uh, hides his X-Wing in a cave and uh, is just going to lay low while the Imperials search for him. But uh, soon, you know, he has to seek food and water because sand lice get into his rations. And, you know... If I was hungry enough and desperate enough, I'd just brush them off and eat it, but... That's disgusting. It's better than starving to death. So, um... But these these are space sand lice. They, they can yeah. give you, like, I don't know, like... Space herpes? Space, space herpes crabs. Space diarrhea or something, you know? Space ooh, crabs, ooh, I ooh. guess, are space yeah. lice anyway. Yeah, who needs that? So, so Luke wanders into a town and, uh... Of course, wanders into a bar to get some food and water, and they're willing to give him food, but um, when he uh, tries to buy water, they accuse him of being a brigand, and things get hostile. And uh, so uh, a fight breaks out with some of the local yahoos, and uh, is soon interrupted just as Luke pulls out his lightsaber by Dariel, a hot redhead, who seems to take an instant liking to Luke. A correction, sir. She is a smoking hot redhead. A smoking hot redhead. Oh, I didn't notice that she was smoking. <laughs> it's a bad message for the kids. That's why she wears that neck thing, because she actually doesn't have a larynx. They had to remove it. So she reads a riot act. Just keep going. Moving on. Uh, she reads a riot act to the local drunks and uh, takes Luke back with her to her family's like fortress-like moisture farm. And... Um, Tells Luke that basically, you know, they have to have a fortress because these local marauders called the brigands are, are stealing everybody's water. 
um, but nobody knows how. They just all of a sudden their water is gone. They don't know how the brigands are doing it. It's so a that fortress of moisture, dude. Yeah, yeah. So that <laughs> night, while Luke is uh, outside, posted as a guard and um, and chatting with his new lady friends, he sees everybody just sort of pass out. And before he himself passes out, he sort of senses a like consciousness around him. When he wakes up, Dariel is gone, and so's all the water, and all the evaporators are all smashed up. And uh, so, of course, Luke Skywalker style, he's decides he's going to go to the brigand stronghold and uh, go get the hottie back. So, um, of course, when he gets there and finds a place, he's instantly captured and uh, finds that the brigand leader Gideon Longspur has captured an, which is a kind of overcompensating name has captured an energy creature sort of thing, and he's using it to knock out the farmers because when this thing gets into the evaporators, it makes a, a, a knockout gas. And he's doing this because it's this he's got part of the energy creature trapped and he's threatening, you know, to hurt it or kill it if they don't do his bidding. So uh, Luke, of course, uh, busts he and Dariel out of their, their prison cell using the Force and uh, goes to attack Gideon who's has Luke's lightsaber and decides he's going to fight him with his own lightsaber. And uh, so in the battle, Luke gets him to break open the globe that's imprisoning the creature and free it. So when, as, in order for he and Daryl to escape on their way out, they have to blast all the tanks of the water that the brigands have stolen to sort of wash away the, the, the crowd that's chasing them. And... Um, you know, Dariel is doesn't want to do it because water is, you know, uh, just in very scarce supply on this planet. But the energy creature assures them, you know, go ahead and do it. You know, I'll, I will, I'll make sure that nothing bad happens to you guys. So she, she, they shoot the water tanks and, and get away and uh, go back to the village. And uh, to everybody's joy, they find out that the energy creature repays their favor by... Um, doing its energy magic in the atmosphere and making it rain for the first time in recorded history. And Luke flies away a hero. The end. (laughs) I like this story. Nice nice little simple story, yeah. It is. That's exactly what I was going to say. A nice little... Exact words I was going to use, too. Nice little simple story, but I really enjoyed it. The art was fantastic in this one. Mm-hmm. The art was and, fantastic. Uh, the energy creature was a little weird. It looked like some sort of little, little like stamp that you would like. Remember in like kindergarten when you would carve a potato and put like a little kaleidoscope pattern in it, and you make a little. It looked like they just had a stamp of something to make the little <laughs> little energy creature. I'm a little leery of of Luke Skywalker at this point because. We know outright that he already killed one of his redhead girlfriends. Right. And then there was that one that popped up in Serfidian eyes. Something happened to her. We haven't seen her again. Now here's another redhead girlfriend. I, You know, I think that at this point there should be some sort of like space internet. Well, for all we know, he's flying away and she's in a shallow grave, you know. (laughs) Exactly. That's my point. Exactly. I, you know. He he could very well be uh, you know Luke Skywalker serial killer because something something strange keeps happening to these redheads that well, he's uh, got some bad blood in him you know <laughs> this is very true he's got some serial killer blood in him that's for sure 
<laughs> I mean, That's definitely Anakin was a serial killer, right? You know, yeah, we can all absolutely uh, right. <laughs> we, 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 can, we can all uh, agree on that. What do you got for notes on this one? Well, mo- uh, they're, they're, they're very similar to you. They're really good art. It, for one, it's sort of a return to tattooing without tattooing. <laughs> it's, yes, it's thank great, God. but you know, at least it's not tattooing. But it's just like. Oh, really? Evaporators and stuff like that? But it works. It doesn't end up being, you know... It, it's sort of neat because it puts Luke... You know, Luke is like, Oh, actually, I'm sort of... No, it's... You know, I know, sort of know how to deal with this... Uh, this 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 place, you know? This is a different planet, but it's familiar terrain to him, you know? I realized but, uh, something on... The pages are not numbered, which is really starting to piss me off. Yeah. But on page three, where it shows Luke looking down on the village that he's walking towards, uh huh, I suddenly realized something. Like, wait a minute, where the hell is R two D two? So I flipped back to the last issue, and that's the only time I can ever remember them going on any sort of mission with X wing fighters, and they aren't carrying R two units. I actually went back and looked at this. None of the X wings in that story have R twos. Huh. That was really weird, and I never caught it until this issue when I realized that Luke was leaving R2 behind, and I went back and I looked, and I was like, hey, wait a minute, R2's not even with him, so that's kind of weird. I I wonder if that's canon. I mean, can the can the, the X-Wings actually work without an R2? I thought they were kind of essential to the operation, but maybe they're not. I don't know. It would, would kind of suck, because if you had an X-Wing and you didn't have an R2 and you needed to use it, you know, that would kind of suck. So I, I imagine you could. I I just figured you could, but it would be a lot, you'd be a lot busier, you know? Right, yeah. I, I figured you had the R2 unit, so you wouldn't have to just sit there constantly and be diddling around with the controls, adjusting them, you know, the whole ride. You could just let your R2 navigate so you didn't have to. I've often wondered... Um, I was wondering, reading these three issues, what, in those long space, you know, man, it's got to be boring in an X-Wing. It looks like with a Y-Wing, maybe you have a little back part where you could go and maybe hit the can if you had to or whatever. But, (laughs) you know, I I imagine they've got, like, you know, leader jugs and stuff in their X-Wings because it doesn't look like you have much moving around (laughs) space in there. You know what I mean? Now these aren't the uh, these aren't the X wings like in the uh, the UK Star Wars series where Luke could where actually has a tennis court and, and stuff. Yeah, inside. yeah, practice yeah. with his lightsaber Take, and shit. Does a couple laps in the pool. To, <laughs> right, to that still cracks me up. Whenever I look back at that story, I'm like, how spacious <laughs> did that thing look in Star Wars to these British people? It's like I just Tardis, didn't... man. Yeah, the, exactly. The British people are used to Tardis. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. They, I guess they would be used to that. What is that Tesseract technology or whatever the hell yeah. you call it? Yeah. Now you would think that uh, having lived and grown up, you know, for 19 years with Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, that uh, Luke would actually know how to spell his aunt's name, but apparently yes. not because it's misspelled on uh, on this one. I have no Baru. idea what page number this is, but yeah, they misspelled that. I like after the uh, the spore or whatever these things are; these creatures attack and everybody wakes up. You got that one Amish dude there that Luke's talking to. That headband that he's wearing looks a hell of a lot like the one that we would see Obi-Wan wearing when he was flying his uh, Jedi Starfighter in Attack of the Clones. 
Yeah, there's some interesting, and when we get into the next issue, there's some interesting stuff too. You know, mm-hmm. that that uh, that sort of pre predate the 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 new trilogy and the Clone Wars right. and stuff oh, like definitely. that. That I was yeah. uh, that I was kind of excited about. But uh, oh, there yeah, was, uh, I'm, I'm always just disappointed in Luke that he didn't at least make out with this chick at least once. She's obviously <laughs> into him, you know. She's just like, hey, let me save you from this fight and come back to my, you know, come back to help me guard my, my, uh, you know, my, my moisture farm. And then you get there and she's got an army guarding it. And it's just like, oh, you know. Right. Oh, oh, oh yeah, Luke, I just thought you could get some new insight into this. Yeah, I new insight into her uh new thong 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 that's what i'm thinking but no luke's just too you know he's just like i'll go save her and and then it rains and i'll 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 go away and come on man he has no well i guess at this point he's still maybe holding out for a little princess leia booty but he must know that it's <laughs> over by now you know she he must know that she's got eyes for han solo yeah, but at this point, they had no idea where that all was headed with Han Solo. And, and it's everything. funny, I watched an episode of Sanford and Son today, and one of the jokes was Fred Sanford said, They have a name for that! It's called Insects. <laughs> I love Sanford and Son. Insects. You couldn't even get away with that joke these days. No, nope. it was like in the 70s. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, I like there's a nice little part here where uh the uh bad guy I can't even remember what the hell the bad guy's name was, but this very uh Mandarin looking bad guy has Luke's lightsaber. And I really like he goes he says, uh, I ain't seen one of these since the wars. I was just like, yep. Hey, that's nice. That, that actually, fits in that nice fits very nicely. Yeah, yep. I like that. I didn't have a lot of notes for this one. I mean no, it's such I, a simple it. story, you know. Yeah. I mean there's a lot of good sound effects, there's a cratch. There's a shalush. You don't see shalush that often. There's a shakao. A shakao is a good blaster sound. But, you know, Cratch. of course, no chewy, so there's no real good honks. Oh, there's some good chewy stuff next issue, though. But, well, yeah, uh, chewy's we all get over there, the next issue, yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to use up our time reading them, but the, I love the letters page in this one because... That this was uh, the readers agree with me very much. This this was a time when the the stories were definitely ramping up and improving yes. as far as both story quality and the art. And the letters are overwhelmingly positive. Every, well, it's it's funny because it. the letters are usually overwhelmingly positive, but these are acknowledging that they were probably cherry pick. They were probably leaving out some of the ones like what's up yeah. with with this, you know? Because it's yeah, a lot of them are just like I re- you know. They're not really saying this is a vast improvement, but they're saying I like where it's going. It's getting, right. you know, it's 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 kicked it up a notch. Bam. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right because they had been overwhelmingly positive. Even uh, the letters Even they some got, the god awful John Carter story that yeah. they did. You know, every single letter they printed was like, "Hey, this story Makes was every great. story like, like this. this." Yeah, every you know, this needs to be the next Star Wars movie. There was not yeah. one going, "Hey, that story sucked ass." Dear sirs, my hat is off to you. Right? Yeah, exactly. Cheers. Did George Lucas secretly write this story? You know, you know stuff like that. So yeah, that you have to take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> That's kind of a backwards insult, anyway. That's like yeah, <laughs> some slight or some. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, 
I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but I like this because uh, a lot of these letters here are uh, reactionary letters to the revelation about uh, about Shira Bry having been an agent of the Empire and everything. So I really like that. Only other things I got on this one, I like on the... Are you, no, did you read this as a paper issue? Yes, I did. On the inside front cover, man, M Network Games. Yep. We were just talking about this. Yep. But I and love that, uh, that ad. That's cool. Can you see Tron in there? No, you can't see Tron in there, but... Uh-uh. Yeah, I, I remember Astral that packaging. Blast. Yeah. The These only other video thing... games are so exciting! <laughs> <laughs> well, I love there's this one page here, and this ad comes up in a couple of them. Well, there's the one here, it's a, it's a Marvel House ad. It has Thor, and then it has Odin. And Odin's there with he's got his eye patch, yeah. his big winged helmet, his crow, and crow on his shoulder. He totally looks like a biker to me. Yeah, he looks like he should be going like, you know, <laughs> yeah, he should have like a mug scrawny, of beard. scrawny, tattooed, <laughs> you know, old lady. Doesn't with he him. look like he should be sitting on a Harley though? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Chopped off Harley, and oh for sure, <laughs> it does. It cracks me up. And lastly. This just kind of kind of was bittersweet to me reading this, but on the bullpen bullpen bulletins page, Jim Shooter was uh, there was a nice long write up here about the wedding a wedding of uh, Roger Stern and Carmela Merlo, and she was a, uh, a teacher of chemistry at Cornell University. Um, remember, I used to go down oh, right. to uh, to Ithacons. Right, right, because Cornell's they, in Ithaca. Yeah, yes. and they they you know I, I met them. I actually met them for the first time at my very first convention. And I say convention, I mean that's what they called it. But I mean it was compared very, to what is today. Was, yeah, they were, yeah, yeah. And this was actually it was held in the freaking parking lot of Twilight Book and Game, and there was maybe a couple hundred people there at most. So not a convention like we think of conventions today. But it was actually, it was pretty cool. There was a little trivia thing that they did, and there was a costume contest, and the grand prize was a near-mint copy of Amazing Fantasy number 15 that went to this kid who was maybe nine years old at most. I remember everybody being really, really pissed about it, you know, because... We were all afraid that this kid was just going to pop it open and you know ruin it, you know? <laughs> chew on it. And even then, that book was worth a hell of a lot of yeah. money. But it was really cool, you know. I, I met Roger Stern there for the very first time, and uh, and I met his wife, and she was really she was always really nice, and she was the one of the two of them that always remembered me when I would come to like Ithacons and stuff. Uh-huh. She was really cool, and uh, that's where I met Ron Friends. Well, she's a teacher. Teachers learn to, oh, to yeah. connect names and faces, you know, because they have a room full of 30 kids every 10 weeks. But uh, the reason I say this was kind of bittersweet for me was that uh, I, I learned not long ago that I guess they're not together anymore. And I thought that was very sad because they always seem so, so perfect together. You know, they, were, they were like that perfect couple, you know, and they were, I don't know, it, was, it just I've made seen me quite sad. a few of them bite the dust yeah. in my days. Yeah, I know. But it was like, oh, you know. But speaking of Ron Friends, hey, he's uh, he's coming, coming up next issue, and I was well, so excited about that. I just wanted to mention one ad, and this is because you don't see stuff like this anymore. And this is just a tiny little text ad. It's across. It's on the page opposite of that Thor, and it says, "Be a ringleader." 
Turn a real dollar bill into a ring for your finger. A secret way to get your money's worth out of a dollar bill. Send one dollar to rings. 475 Lynn Drive, Fayetteville, Georgia, 30214. <laughs> you don't see stuff like that anymore, you know? Isn't that where? Isn't that near where uh, where Mike Bailey lives? I think, Probably. I think maybe Mike Bailey's running a scam out of his house. What do you think? <laughs> well, I don't know how old was Mike Bailey in 19, yeah, December that's true. of Mike Bailey would have been... Oh, gosh, i got to do some quick math here. I'm not, not old enough to be running a scam out of comic book. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't a scam. I'm sure they just mailed you a piece of paper that showed you how to origami fold a dollar bill into a ring. Something that, like, somebody learned at summer camp, you know? I don't know. I, I still think it's probably... it's it's It sounds like it's on par with that one that used to say, for free information, send a dollar to blah, blah, blah. You know, it was like... And people did it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they'd get information that would say, like... <laughs> yeah, they'd get something yeah, just like, the sky is blue. <laughs> Be informed, you are a dumbass. Yes. Now you know. <laughs> Annoying is half the battle. <laughs> Oh, oh, Lordy. Oh, and All right, I say we take a quick uh, quick little break and come back with the next issue, which is number 67, which makes perfect sense because the last one was issue 66. Yes, that would piss me off if the next one was not 67. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would complain. Yoda, AT-HAT driver, 41 action figures from Kenner's Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back collection, each sold separately. You can send for this new action figure survival kit free with five proofs of purchase from any Empire Strikes Back action figures. Twelve accessories like Hoth backpack that fits on action figures sold separately. Offer expires May 31st, 1981. Details on specially marked packages at participating stores. Yoda, AT-HAT driver, and other action figures each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back collection. Hello and thank you for calling the Tales of the Justice Society of America 24-hour live human being customer service hotline. Hello, I... Unfortunately, all uh. of our representatives are sleeping. Or busy. Uh, busy. All of our representatives are busy right now. But if you stay on the line, your call will be answered in reverse Hungarian alphabetical order, starting with the letter... Bato. Okay. Your call is very important to us. Please stay on the line. Alright. We are experiencing longer than usual wait times. Your call will be answered in... Cock. Bulls. Minutes. Please continue to hold. Your call is extremely important to us. Please stay on the line. Check us out on the web at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com. Your call is ridiculously important to us. Yeah, if my call's so important, then why don't you answer it? What the fuck is taking so long? You may be asking yourself, what the fuck is taking so long? Um, I'm sure that while your call is of vital importance to us, we will get to it when we're good and goddamn, um, rather, um, we'll be with you shortly. Please continue to hold. Answer. Answer the goddamn. <laughs> 
Let me check. Is he still there? Ah! Hey guys, he's still holding. Oh, we're sorry for your weight. Please continue to hold. God damn it! Tales of the Justice Society of America returns soon with brand new episodes. Stay tuned. And welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 30. This time around, we're going to be looking at Marvel Comics Star Wars number 67. And since we couldn't get John Hausman to synopsize this issue for us, because he's busy being dead, we'll have uh, Chris Honeywell synopsize this issue. Good evening. <laughs> A shroud. A shroud, Mr. Gardner. <laughs> yeah, I can't do John Hausman, I'm sorry. Thank but God. Who can? <laughs> Shit. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to say we will sell no wine before it's time, but that's that's Orson. <laughs> wrong Wells. fat man. That's the that's the wrong fat. What was his, What was his? It was like, it was some insurance company. You remember, he had a little tag phrase on a commercial. At something and something, you know, we care of some bullshit line like that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Trimming the fat. We will, uh, anyway, it'll always be we shall sell no wine before it's time <laughs> for me. Okay. Star Wars number 67, another 60-cent issue. This is January 1983. Once again, it looks like a Tom Palmer cover. I love Chewie on this cover. I love the way Chewie looks on this cover. <laughs> it's awesome. Mm. Everybody looks funny. The, the, the evil guy is a little goofy looking. Mm-hmm. But he's just goofy by his whole definition. He's drawn well, but he's got a little bit of the crypt keeper to him. Just it's hard to take him seriously. But anyway, he, he's so, got um, that thing in the middle of him where I just want to go. Quaid, start the reactor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just like, didn't you want to have that parasitic twin removed at some point, dude? <laughs> it's a little creepy. Okay. So once again, Dave Michelini's a script. Uh, this time, Ron Friends layouts in Tom Palmer finishing. And uh, I just have to say, if Tom Palmer's, whoever Tom Palmer's finishing, he really keeps everything consistent. It's great. It's mm-hmm. it's just, it, it's, it, yeah. Good job, Tom Palmer. And uh, Joe, Ri- Joe Risen letters. Uh, <laughs> Glennis Wayne again, colors. Louise Jones, editor. And Jim Shooter's novelty title this month is Hujib Wrangler. Hujib <laughs> Wrangler. That's my Dave Letterman impression. So, so um, back on Arbra, the, the new rebel base, there is news of intelligence on the whereabouts of Han Solo, or at least on someone who knows the whereabouts of Han Solo. On the way to a meeting about this, r is lured down a tunnel by a faint cry for help. At the meeting, we find out that Boba Fett was aided by another one of the bounty hunters who he screwed over. So um, they don't know which one, but they know it's either Dengar, Bosk, or IG-88. And the rebels prepare to hunt them down and uh, see if they can get them to spill the beans on their ex-partner. Pliff 
finds 3PO and gets his attention and informs him that, you know, R2 has gone down the uh, heretofore unmentioned tunnel of ultimate unknown evil, which conveniently they're just telling us about right now. So Pliffin, 3PO, enlists Chewie to go investigate what happened to R2. So they go down this tunnel, and at the end they find a force field that 3PO can easily pass through, but Chewie has some difficulty getting through it. But they get through this force field, and on the other side they find uh, an abandoned ancient city, and it's an R2 all disassembled and sort of hanging from vines or some sort of... is just sort of hanging from the architecture. And uh, they are met by the evil reptilian heretofore um, parasitic twin reptilian guy called the Darker who is uh, basically all the negative aspects of the former civilization that left behind the city and uh, they, they basically trapped him there with the force field and uh, now he of course wants out somehow he figures a good way to do this is to sort of fill Chewie with anger and rage and set him on a rampage Chewie attacks 3PO, and somehow 3PO manages to uh, escape him and hide in an abandoned library. Uh, there he finds out the truth about the Darker, that the force field was actually made to destroy him if he ever came in contact with it. 3PO puts R2 back together, and then sort of snaps Chewie out of his rage by invoking the memory of Han Solo. And... Uh, so, you know, once Chewie's back to normal, it's no big shake for him to just grab the Darker and chuck him into the into the force field, destroying him. And, uh, of course, in, you know, sort of um, Indiana Jones style, the old city collapses and, you know, sort of hides its tracks. And the day is won, and it's time to go looking for Han Solo. And Excellent synopsis. Number 67. Very good, very good. You know, I... Uh, hey, you. <laughs> the story was much better than I remember it to be. Yes, I, me too. Was, I, I used to think... I, I was like, oh, God, I remember this one being cheesy. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly it. Yeah. I think a lot of it is that cover. The the, the cover, while yes. R2, 3PO, and Chewie actually seldom looked better than they look on this cover, the darker lo- looming over them from behind, very, like, Dracula-esque... Gives a, scary. a serious cheese to it. Yeah, you know? not not, not and, very horrifying at all. No, no, he's actually kind of ridiculous looking. And just, I have to be honest, that name, the Darker, is just really a kind yes. of stupid name. Yes, it is. But, it's terrible. But, it just falls off the lips like it falls off the tongue like razor blades or something. It just <laughs> yeah, the Darker. It sounds like a stupid fucking emo band or something. <laughs> You know, but that said, I actually found a lot that I really liked in this issue. I'm, I'm wondering if you found the same thing that I did because uh, you may know you may I I may, my memory might be wrong about this, but <clears throat> wasn't the idea? <clears throat> I'm getting ready to cross the stream, so my throat is trying to oh, choke I me out. I know where you're going, and I do believe we have the same note. Yeah. Um, wasn't there a star? Wasn't the Star Trek episode where Tasha Yar bites yes. it? Wasn't yes. that thing basically the same thing? Yes. It was like all the the evil parts of a absolute of a society left behind to to live in misery on absolutely and left behind and trapped. 
I so, I so badly wish that I I had remembered this story better, so that somehow we could sync up this story with with Star Trek Monthly Monday and cover that story because you're absolutely right. The the creature that killed Tashi R in that episode it was a skin of evil which is a first season episode of star trek the next generation Ooh, that was that's that's the nickname all my girlfriends give me <laughs> i don't understand his that. uh his name was armus and the the backstory that he relates Much better than the darker yeah a lot better i love that character too um, but the backstory he relates to picard in that episode is almost exactly this same right. story it, was, it makes me wonder a little bit, you know? Yeah, If some, some Star Trek writer wasn't reading some Star Wars comics when he was a kid. <laughs> a few years. It was only a few years before, actually, come to think of it. Mm-hmm. It's only like, you know, four or five years before. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, he, he, sa- he says the same thing that, you know... You sound so alone. I am alone. Band. Who deserted you? Creatures whose beauty now dazzles all who see them. They would not exist without me. You were together. They perfected a means of bringing to the surface all that was evil and negative within. Erupting, spreading, connecting. In time, it formed a second skin, dank and vile. You. Yes. They discarded you and left. And here I am. And that's the same story that's given here with the darker. So yeah, those those characters are almost completely the same. They're the same thing, although the Star Trek character in the end was almost sympathetic you felt pity for it you know yeah. it, was a pit- it was a pitiable thing yes absolutely Whereas this, this thing is just a this thing's just a prick <laughs> hmm? <laughs> i didn't feel bad at all when chewy chucked him into the force field not one bit i don't know just... how in the world they ever would have pulled it off but i always thought that you know i i've uh, the, the legend i don't know if this is really true but the legend about the wrath of khan was that that movie came about because they felt like they, they needed to do something that, that really recaptured the spirit of the original TV show. So somebody sat down, watched all 79 episodes, and said, okay, this is the one. You know, we're, we're going to pick up the threads of this one and, and make a sequel. I, I don't know how in the world they ever could have pulled it off, but I would have loved to see some sort of sequel to uh, Skin of Evil because I, I completely agree. I thought Armis was a hell of a good bad guy and he was a good bad guy because in the end I did feel for him. You yes, feel sorry he's for him. And he's just offed one of the favorite characters yeah, in the show. Exactly. You know, a character yeah. that both of us really like in the show and it was still like I feel sorry for this guy. He's been, yeah. And I would have loved to have found if they if if a writer had found a way to tie in the the people that he's referring to, the the beautiful ones or whatever it is he calls them. I always thought it would have been really awesome if somehow they had been the gods of Apollo's people and tie the whole thing together with Apollo and the fact they that would they would have tied it in, they would have tied small. it in with the Q. <laughs> yeah, that's probably. what I would have. I, it would have probably ended up being the Q. Knowing that would suck. They like <laughs> to go. They like to go to the Q well. Yeah, 
for for stuff like that a few too many times in my opinion but mm -hmm. but that oh that's awesome that we both came to the same the same realization i was reading that and i'm like this seems familiar to me and it's been <laughs> so long since i've seen skin of evil i wasn't 100 percent sure nope, that that was the deal with with that that tar pit the talking tar pit but yep. you're dead you're dead right you're absolutely because as soon as i read the Darker's origin that he gives in this, I was like, holy shit, that's Armis's origin. So I thought that was really cool. Definitely. And uh, uh, Chewie, Chewie's just drawn beautifully in this issue. Yes. It, obviously, Ron Friends likes drawing Chewie and, and uh, is going to get used to drawing Chewie. Yeah, I was just going to, I was going to say that too, that this is the first Friends that we've gotten, but he will be back shortly and become the regular uh, penciler on this uh -huh. series, almost until the end of the series. I and can see I, why, too, after uh, this issue. Yeah. I mean, and, that opening splash of, of Luke pulling on his jacket is just mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. like that. I mean, yep. it's, that, it's, that actually, that, that, that opening panel sort of sums up the, the, the next big run of Star Wars that's coming up. That, that, that artwork just sort of sums it up for me. I you know, it. it captures the essence of the characters really well, and plus, this is full of hujibs. You know, Shat. You know, I'm sure this one will is popular with uh, the irredeemable Shag. We need to get Shag back while we're in this era, because I, I know that he really enjoys this era too, and I know he likes hujibs. I, I would have loved to have heard his take on this particular. Yeah, he's all gay for hujibs. <laughs> there's, there's. Speaking of gay, I'm hearing that. what was that song? I'm hot for teacher. Now I'm hearing I'm gay for who jibs. <laughs> I got a bad, got a bad, bad got, got a bad. bad. I'm gay for who jibs. <laughs> Speaking of gay, there is a rather gay scene in this one where where three PO sprays oil into Chewie's face. Yes, that makes me uncomfortable. That's it, very it, uncomfortable it, of 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 three PO ripping a a tube out of his out of his crotch area and spraying Chewie in the the eyes. It's yeah, that's, yes, it's a little strange. That's just not right. And, and it's I, funny I, seeing 3PO reading a big book like, you know, like uh, Doctor Strange or something like that, you know? It's just funny that he happened to pull exactly the right book he needed out of all the books. Well, that no, he pulls out a cookbook first. Remember, he's like, oh, oh I'll start. Right. And he's like, oh, that's right. This is, a, this is a recipe book. It's a cookbook. You're right. I take it back. You're absolutely right. This is the first. Nicolini's got it covered, man. I can ever remember that we are privy to R2's thought processes. Yes. And I thought that was really neat to see the way R2 thinks. I That was neat to me. I, I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, especially since he thinks things like, what the heck? Yeah, Although exactly. I, I, I really picture R2 being like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why not? You know, exactly. that's always seemed more like R2's personality to me, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, we, we learned right in the very first movie that R2 swore, so. Yes. Nah, you know? You watch your language. Um, yes. Now, one of the reasons I really liked this issue was that this was where it, it felt like things were starting to ramp up. You know, we're finally starting to to learn how marvel is going to handle the han solo yeah series. and address it and come out with a practical way of dealing with it yes because right. i've been waiting for that because i could not remember for the life of me what what was the fucking hold up why weren't they going to to try to get han back 
And this is where, you know, that's starting to go is that we're realizing that it wasn't as simple as just, all right, Boba Fett's going to tattooing. Let's go to tattooing and get Boba Fett. You know, that what Marvel did was come up with this story where, you know, Boba Fett was going into hiding awaiting some secret rendezvous with Jabba. That makes sense. Uh, well, yeah, that makes it, sense it that Jabba the Hutt might play it, like, under the table because he knows that Han Solo's now, you know, got some rebel connections. So, it, it, yeah, they, they actually are starting to make it work, you know, whereas they weren't really addressing it that much before. And when they did, it, it still didn't really make sense that much, you know. What I really like was that whether consciously or subconsciously or maybe even being completely unaware I'm not sure this really ties in very nicely with the dark horse stuff that would come years later and with um, what was the name of that uh, that book that was the it was basically the movie that didn't have a movie we were just talking about this not long ago Shadows of the Empire Shadows of the Empire right there was a, 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 a great sequence in that in both the comics and the book where Boba Fett ended up fighting the other bounty hunters over Han Solo. So it fits very nicely in this where we're hearing that that basically Boba Fett betrayed at least one of the other bounty hunters, you know, mm-hmm. to get Han Solo. So it all fits very nicely where he finds himself at odds with the other ones because they end up outright fighting and I want to say he even kills one of them, but I can't remember now. I, I think he kills either Zuckus or Forlom, but I I forget. Or maybe he didn't actually kill him. He just like, you know, if, if he shot him off, or... one, maybe he just like took it out or something. But I can't yeah. remember. I know there's definitely a, a. I remember seeing a panel, a nicely drawn panel where he shot one of them. So that was really cool. Um, Chewie, as you're saying before, Chewie's got. You know, this is the first time Chewie's really had any extended dialogue, but he's got some great. Oh well, he gets to have a he gets to have a Kirk like freakout in this one, you know, an evil Kirk <laughs> freakout. So it's you know, my favorite's that one. As they're headed into the tunnel, he's doubled over because he has to stoop, but it almost looks like he's throwing up. Yeah, and he's rock. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Some nice comedy bits, too. Uh, Michelini was really good with the subtle comedy that fit, you know, that, that worked. Yes. It's well, it felt like, it felt like Star Wars comedy. It felt like the comic asides that you would have in a Star Wars movie, you know? Right. So that, yeah, I, li- I like that, too. Well, that's what I mean. This, this whole run, this Michelini and Friends, what, what, you know, the whole run we're coming on to really just captures the movies, you know, more than... Mm-hmm than anything else it captures the characters and everything else but it captures the feel and the look of the movies consistently and yeah i'm uh, yeah it's it's yeah every episode's going to be a joy for the most part for a while now my favorite moment of this entire issue though is when chewy shoots the darker and it has absolutely no effect so the Darker uses his mental whammy on Chewbacca to ramp up his full, uh, what does he call it? His raw, unbridled hatred. So there's this great panel where Chewie turns and he's just pissed. Yes. And we get one eye squinked shot. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. And we get 3PO's reaction. He goes, We're doomed. And then the very next panel is Chewie swinging at 3PO as 3PO ducks out of the way and 3PO goes, I'm doomed. It's great. I love it. The the I mean it's just 
I, I'm not a big fan of of the humor that had come before this because it always felt so forced. But forced. this feels like that makes Star sense. Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, great. I mean, the only thing, and the only thing, and it happens in the next issue too. Is and they do it in the comics, but you know they couldn't get away with it in the movies. Is they make three PO a man of action. He's running away yeah. from. He's running away from Chewbacca. Right. He's running away from Chewbacca, and you know it, it must be funny if like. I doubt Anthony Daniels reads these comics, but if he ever read these comics, he'd be going, yeah, right, I'm going to be leaping out of the way. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Punch. I'd land on the ground all cut up in bruises, bruised from my suit, you know? There's just no way. <laughs> yeah, that that always did kind of bug, bug me as a kid. There was that one issue, I think we reviewed it already. Where they where, were like, run 3PO! Yeah, it was <laughs> where, like, where Leia and 3PO were scouting that planet, and they came up against, what was it, uh... Gundarks or something, and yeah, she had yeah. run, and I was like, "Now come on! Not only can't he run, he shuffles like a mime that shit its pants, you know. Yeah. So there's no way he's going to do this full out sprint and jump up into a tree like he does in that issue. You're, so. you're better off just like rolling over. He's a machine; he can roll over. He's a piece of metal. Any animal is just going to go sniff, sniff, and then walk away from it. You know that I mean, right. they're not going to try and eat him. You know, <laughs> so." But you know, whatever, whatever. Hey, you're right. They do. He does the man of action thing again next issue a little yeah. bit. Too. Yeah. Well, are we ready for that next issue? I think we are. It's a uh, winner. This is one I have been waiting for since we first proposed the idea of tackling Marvel Star Wars. I'm really, really looking forward to this one. This one is funny because. When we started doing Star Wars Monthly Monday, I started trying to complete my Star Wars collection. And um, this one, I got it in a group of other ones. But individually, this one was kind of a pricey one because it kept saying, Origin of Boba Fett. Yep. Origin of Boba Fett. And I never really thought of it, but it is, in a way. It is. It was the first origin of Boba Fett. You're Mm -hmm. absolutely right. And uh, this one blew me away as a kid because, again, you have to remember, folks, you know, if, if you weren't alive during these days, you have to remember that there were no solicitations in the, these days. You know, this this was way before previews or the Internet or anything like that. So we had no idea. You other walked than into the at, store. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe at the end of an issue they might say, you know, you know, come back next month as Darth Vader returns or something like that. But, I mean, you didn't get for example, a cover image. We have no idea what the next issue is going to be. So to walk into the comic shop, or not, not even, there weren't even comic shops. To walk into like uh, the local drug cigar store, store, yeah. Or cigar store, convenience store, and here's Star Wars number 68 on the stands, and Boba frickin' Fett is on the cover. I about shit my pants. Because I was like, holy shit, Boba Fett's in Star Wars. It was a big friggin' deal. Mm -hmm. He's right there on the cover, it's very photo referenced, and I realize that now as I didn't when I was a kid, but it's right out of The Empire Strikes Back. You know, it's the part where he's shooting at Luke on Bespin, but it's awesome. But that's got, still pretty fucking cool, man. Oh, yeah. It's, admit. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful Gene Day cover of, uh, of Boba Fett, you know, taking aim, basically taking aim at the reader and firing his blaster. And then underneath him, you've got uh, Princess Leia, a bunch of stormtroopers, and then this... Grievous. Uh, what's that? He looks like Grievous. You're right, he does look like General Grievous. He's yeah. inside, too. 
He almost looks like he's riding one of those creatures from. Um, That's what I'm saying, man. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. What the you know, WTF, man? <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, this is uh, Star Wars number sixty-eight. This is a February nineteen eighty-three issue. Original cover price sixty cents. Uh, cover, as I say, by Gene Day. Just an awesome one. One of the best of the whole series, and I would die for a T-shirt of this picture on it. David Michelini again on script. Gene Day does the actual layouts, which is actually, uh, that was pretty rare because Gene Day was more of an inker. Um, but he actually did the layouts in this particular one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tom Palmer finishes. Joe Rosen letters. Glennis Ween colors. Uh, Louise Jones editor. And Jim Shooter's title this time, Corellian Chief. I like that. This one is simply entitled, The Search Begins. And uh, we open to a beautiful title splash page of Princess Leia kneeling at the feet of the carbonite-encased Han I love it. Yeah, I it's love the beautiful. way Star Wars is, is framing it. You know, star yeah. at the top and wars at the bottom. The search begins. It's yeah. awesome. It is. It's great. It, it's really neat because we didn't get a whole lot of title pages for Star Wars. You know, very seldom. But that's really all this one is. It's just a title splash, but it works beautifully. It's really, really nice. So the story actually begins on the next page on Planet Arbra, which I noticed I think is starting to look, look more Tatooine-like all the time. And I kind of wonder if maybe that was uh, a mandate from Lucasfilm to make the planet a little less, uh, you know, look a little less like the moon of Endor, you know, a little less forest planet looking, but that's just, you know, kind of speculation. Anyway, we see the outstretched arms of our uh, Star Warriors, and they're laying, you know, hand upon hand as uh, Luke Skywalker, Princess Leia, presumably Lando Calrissian, although uh, all the humanoid hands are colored Caucasian colors, so <laughs> somebody screwed up somewhere. Chewbacca the Wookiee, C-3PO, and R2-D2 agree that it's one for all and all for Han Solo. Uh, they all wish each other well on their respective missions, and after a brief bit of introspection to bring the readers uh, that may have missed prior issues up to speed, it's off into space for Princess Leia and C-3PO on a mission to find the cyborg bounty hunter Dengar. The princess believes that the Johnny Cash impersonator may have vital information as to where Boba Fett is hiding out, awaiting his rendezvous with Jabba the Hutt. And again, Jabba the Hutt is misspelled, as it is for almost the entire series of uh, Marvel Star Wars. Leia's search takes her and the golden droid to our first visit to Mandalore. And this was a big frickin' deal at the time. I forget where exactly word got out that Boba Fett was a Mandalorian or that he had Mandalorian armor, but this was our first trip there, and just, wow, blowing my mind as a kid. So there, Leia and 3PO spot what she first mistakes for a uh, merchant caravan, but it turns out that it's actually a band of slavers. And the princess feels really bad about, you know, these poor captives and everything, and, you know, that the slavers are marching along, but she decides she can't really do anything about it without risking herself and C-3PO. So she and 3PO are about to just kind of silently slip away when suddenly the slavers are set upon by a band of warriors. And then streaking out of the sky, leading this band of warriors is the familiar shape of... Boba Fett. The Mandalorian warrior uses his flight pack and arsenal of weapons to make quick work of the slavers, but one of the unseen members gets the drop on Boba and is about to shoot him in the back when Leia intervenes, saving Boba Fett's life. 
out of hiding, Leia and 3PO are drawn into the fight, but both manage to hold their own, 3PO through just dumb luck, and Leia through some actual combat skill. But she drops her gun in a hand-to-hand tussle with one of the uh, slavers and finds herself at the mercy of Boba Fett. She tells the bounty hunter that she doesn't really need the weapon anyway. She intends to kill him with her bare hands. And he realizes that there's there must be a case of mistaken identity at work here. So the Mandalorian unmasks to reveal that he isn't Boba Fett at all, but rather Fen Shaisa, a freedom fighter. So Shaisa recognizes Leia and takes her to his village as his guest slash prisoner. There she is well treated and she's fed. And it seems that she and Shaisa may actually be kind of hitting it off a little bit. Shaisa proceeds to give us his and subsequently Boba Fett's origin story. Years ago, he was part of a group of super commandos charged with the protection of Mandalore. And when Palpatine proclaimed himself emperor, the Mandalorian government sent the super commandos into the Clone Wars to fight for the Empire. Shaisa learned of Princess Leia and her status as a quote-unquote enemy of the Empire during this time. That's how he recognized her. The war was won, but at a terrible cost for the Mandalorians, as only three protectors out of all the ones there were survived. Boba Fett, who was the leader of the group and who became disenchanted with the warrior lifestyle and left to become the galaxy's most feared bounty hunter, Fen Shaisa himself, and then Shaisa's best friend, Toby Dalla. Shaisa and Dala returned to Mandalore only to find that the planet was overrun by Imperial sanctioned slavers. So Shaisa and Dala went underground to form a resistance movement and have been fighting for Mandalore's freedom ever since. So Shaisa then asks Leia about what brought her to Mandalore, and her description of her prey brings Shaisa to realize that the prisoner they have is who she's looking for, Dengar the bounty hunter. Uh, Leia tries to convince Fen to hand over the bounty hunter to her and to the Alliance, but Fen is having none of that. Fen's buddy Toby Dalla has been captured by the enemy, and Dengar is to be used for a prisoner exchange. Leia tries her best to sway him, but he isn't moved. He says he fights for his people, and he doesn't care at all about Leia's cause. And then he kind of walks away from the scene, at which point Dengar suggests to Leia that he'd be perfectly willing to give up any information that she wants from him if she'll help him get free. But Leia at that time just kind of walks away and doesn't say anything. So later, after the uh, the big festivities and the evening banquet and all that, Leia tries to sneak off. Presumably, I was thinking to free Dengar, but she's intercepted by Fenshaisa. But it turns out that that's all part of her plan. She's actually dispatched C-3PO to go and lower Dengar's cage to the ground so she can come along and free him later or something. And she, meanwhile, she plays, you know, she uses herself as a as a distraction to keep Fenshaisa busy by flirting with him. And I guess when she figures enough time has passed, she uh, locks lips with Fenshaisa just as so she can get close enough to him to knock him out. So then she slips away and meets up with 3PO and she frees uh, Dengar from his cage, but not before the bounty hunter actually secretly activates a homing signal, but she doesn't see him do this. She marches Dengar to a clearing and threatens him at gunpoint to give up the information that she needs, but he refuses, telling her that she has actually walked right into his trap. And that's when she and 3PO suddenly realize that they are surrounded by an ATAR and a squad of Imperial Stormtroopers. Bam, bam, bam. Uh, uh, so next issue, 
death battle in the city of bones. And what, McCoy's uh, in this one. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of this one? Oh, it was great. There's a lot of fun stuff. Like I said, there's that guy, the guy who looks like a general grievous mask. It's all my favorite thing. Well, besides just the awesome pictures of Han and carbonite, which are like some of the best drawn Han and carbonite. Yes. The, the, the full page spread of the Y wing, the X wing and the Falcon all flying off in their separate directions is just awesome. Some of the art in this looks a little hurried. Some of mm-hmm. like the battle scenes and stuff look like they were inked really hurried. But the uh, there's a lot of just there's a big double page spread of the three Mandalorians marching through battle and the mm-hmm. Slave One in the background. It's just gorgeous. And there's a reminiscent of and someday we'll get back to these comics. Those the Alan Moore Swamp things. Where they yeah. have um, two pages that are framed, you know, one side has a silhouette of Princess Leia as a frame, and the other side has the the uh, silhouette of Fen Shaisa as a, as a frame, just sort of bookending the action in between. Yes. So, and it, it just makes for a really entertaining read, and it adds that feel of Star Wars to it, you know, like with the with all the weird wipes and stuff, the different kinds of like goofy wipes that. Lucas uses and stuff. These are sort of the comic equivalent of it, and it works really well. I There's would a... dare say that this is the uh, – I can't think of a better term to use than artsy-fartsy, but I would say that this is the, the most artsy-fartsy issue we've had since uh, yes. Michael Golden did number 38 way yes. back when. Yeah, but it there's... works. It totally works, and I love it. Oh, yeah. there's But it's not artsy-fartsy in, like, it doesn't – betray the look of star wars you know it's not like ostentatiously artsy fartsy it's just very nice you know there's a scene towards the end where she's about to shoot dengar out of his cage and she's coming into the clearing and you know she's just sort of backlit with a little bit of light on the top of her head and the top of her boobs and you know three po's in the foreground it's just beautifully drawn it looks like you know, a rough sketch for like an illustration of a of a book or something. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I just I I really like, um, I really like the, the characters in it. Fen Scheiss is a great character, as as we all know. You're totally you know, if if Shira Bry is your Star Wars girlfriend, Fen Scheiss <laughs> is your Star Wars boyfriend for sure. You know. I uh, I I really really took to this character for reasons I I still don't fully understand other than he he's just cool I liked the fact of you know he was another Mandalorian I, I liked the origin that we got you know and things like that I like the glimpse into um you know Boba Fett's backstory you know this was the first glimpse we ever got you know into Boba Fett's backstory but. I think the thing I liked about Fen the best was that up and uh, up until that time he was the only other Mandalorian we ever saw, and I took him very much to be, uh, you know, Come from the same cloth as Boba Fett. Maybe? Yeah, I mean he's he's basically um, he's Boba Fett's good twin. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and that's what I really yeah, yeah, liked yeah. about him. Did, now, did you think? Maybe his dialogue was supposed to maybe have like a little Irish accent Irish, or something. Irish, yes, yes. But, but at the same time, can't you just fix it in your mind into the Australian accent from the the prequels? I just, I just like, 
adjust, you can almost hear it as that, you know, as the um, Django Fett, vo- you know, or the clone trooper voice, you know. I, I could, but he's not a clone. He, he's not a yeah. clone of, of Django, yeah. which is an important distinction. Right. Well, there's a lot of continuity weirdness, you know, of with all this and with the Clone Wars, too. Now there's... Well, I'll, I'll be addressing that in a minute. But even even now, even after all the retconning that's been done, um, Fen Shisa is, you know, his own person. He, he is not a clone. Right, right. He, even, um, you know, modern... Even, even all doctored up. Right. Um, in the center spread, before we get into the heavy... <laughs> the heavy continuity talk in the center spread where they go into his village in that big, you know, the big double page top part with the spread in the right hand corner in the bottom. Doesn't that look like a mix between Tron and uh, RoboCop? <laughs> it's like RoboCop Tron right. like, fixing his own leg or something. You're absolutely you're right. It does. It looks like Murphy Robotron or something with, yeah. Yeah, with like Tron's helmet. You're absolutely right. That's cool. That's actually really cool. You know, one of the things, I, I didn't have this as a note, but uh, I, I got to realizing it when you had me flipping through f- trying to find this thing for uh, Leia's boobs that you were talking about. She's again wearing the outfit that I always want to call her Hoth fatigues. And right. maybe I'm wrong, but these little patches and, and things, these quilted patterns that are on there, I always took it to be that they were like thermals. Insulation, yeah. yeah. So, and she's on so a I nice, was, like, tropical world. Yeah, so I always thought that that was kind of strange that she continued to wear that outfit post-Hoth because I would think she'd be sweating her ass off, you know? Yeah. But well, maybe that's yeah. just me. Maybe it's not really um, thermal. at that, all. Yeah, we don't know what kind of, uh, you know, cloth, you know, super space clothing they have and fabrics that, like adjust to the hot and cold, you know, they, they breathe when it's hot and they insulate when it's cold. That's what's going on. Yeah, maybe, (laughs) maybe I don't people that I think, and, and here's another question is it's Dengar, right? Dengar is the, Uh is Dengar completely out of his mind because every shot of his face, his teeth are gritted and like his eyes are like crazed and he's just like you know everybody he looks like he's just like he he looks like the evil captain kirk he looks like he's just in pure insane rage all the time and talking through gritted teeth that's probably like my mother always say you keep making that face it'll stay that it'll way stay so, that way yeah yeah that's what happened to him although at the end he is smiling once he's got them where he wants him, he does have a nice little grin on his face. Hmm? Well, let me see. I've got uh, I've got a good number of notes about this one. Probably the the most important note right off the bat. Um, I looked this up to try to get an idea uh, of the time frame we were looking at here. Now, you know, this issue is cover dated, and in the indicia, it's dated as February 1983. Of course, that that only means so much. Right. You know, these these issues were actually on the stands well in advance of that this, date. This could be probably around Christmas time that this right. is coming out. You know, I, I'm thinking November. I looked this up. Well, actually, nice. actually, uh-huh. to play detective, there's ads in here. Yeah, it's got to be November because there's ads like coming this Christmas, the Dark Crystal. Right. You right. Know? 
coming well, this Christmas to a theater near you. I looked this up on um, that Mike's Amazing World website that we use. I wish I could give you the exact URL because I like to give credit um, for that site because that's an, a great, great site. But if you just Google Mike's Amazing World, you'll find it because uh, always, we always used to call it Mike's Amazing World of DC Comics, but he's recently expanded to include Marvel stuff too. And he does timelines and all this really cool stuff. Anyway, look that site up. You can play there for hours. There's so much amazing comic book, just awesomeness on that site. But anyway, using that site, I looked this up. And according to his site, I believe it said that this particular issue was on the stands in November of 1982. But regardless, it was it was definitely late 82 to early 83 at the, you know, that, that this issue would have been on the stands. At that point, Gene Day, the artist of this issue, had been dead for some time. He, he died late September of 1982. And I just find it very interesting that there's absolutely no mention of this, either in this issue or the one that we'll review next time, which wraps Sometimes up. Sometimes like families are funny. Yeah. I was thinking about that because we were taught, we were sort of IMing each other about that last night. Right. And I got to thinking about it, and then I started thinking about some people I know, you know, who've died and their and like their families had really weird reactions about like how they wanted them portrayed and, and, or they were like, you know, they were a really private person. I don't want, you know, they wouldn't want anybody knowing about their, you know, calling attention to their death or, you know, or maybe his family were not proud of the fact that he was a comic book art artist. They wanted him to be a banker or something, you know, you never <laughs> yeah, you know. Never, yeah, you and they requested Mar you know, they wrote to Marvel and said, Hey, can you not say anything about it? We'd rather not. And, you know, who can, you can't say no to a, a fan, you know, the family of the deceased. So, that's what I'm thinking, because usually Marvel's pretty good with noting, even if it's just a little R.I.P. in the corner, but they usually say something, you know? Right. They usually mark any kind of hallmark of, you know, anything that happens with, with um, you know, the people that are that are on their staff or, or were on right. their staff and stuff like that. So I need it, to it, flip back through the, the issues we've already passed and see if and maybe see that might've been mentioned at some point closer to when he actually uh, passed I away. I would have noted it, you know, yeah. I think we would have noticed it and said something about it. Cause I thought about that too. And I'm like, ah, we would have picked up on that for sure. You know, I'd like to think so. But it seems to me I have read one of those somewhere in a Marvel comic that there was acknowledgement of his passing. Uh -huh. So, you know, either we missed it or it was in another title another or, something, or something, 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 yeah. Yeah, something. But yeah, but I, I still, like I said, I just I think it's strange that there's not something like, you know, in loving memory or something like that. You yeah. know, there's, there's no mention of that whatsoever. It just struck me as odd. Another thing that struck me as odd that second page, second panel where they're doing the uh, all for one and all for Han Solo. I love the sentiment behind it, <laughs> but when you actually break it down and look at it, it it's pretty silly because I, you know again I'll point out that uh, all R2 the hands that are there are are Caucasian, you know of the humans, but then you all you have Chewie, three PO, and R two. And there's this word balloon that's connected by all these little offshoots where it looks like everybody's <laughs> I speaking see English. Going with this. So you know you've got you've got Chewie and and uh, R two actually saying for Han Solo. So yeah, it, it, I get a kick out of that. I think it's funny. 
I want to echo your sentiments about that uh, that page that I just called the takeoff splash page. That yeah. one's great. And then the two-page splash with the Mandalorian warriors and uh, especially the Slave One looks awesome <laughs> yeah. right there. Oh, it's beautiful. It's almost three-dimensional the way it's drawn. It's just beautiful. Now... I was so excited about this issue because not only did we get the introduction of of really – I'm serious. I, I consider Fen Shaisa a great character. I really do. Not only did we get his introduction and that, that added to the tapestry of Marvel Star Wars, but we got you know the, the first backstory for Boba Fett, who he was and where he came from. Inventions of the Clone Wars. Yeah. And, you know, I mean – I mean, that could very well be the Emperor holding out Princess Leia's picture, you know, the wanted picture, you know. Yep. Yeah. And it's – I really like that. And and this held up for quite a long – basically it held up until the prequel trilogy kind of started to do away with elements of this. Um, I was going to kind of go into a little bit the recon uh, – uh, or excuse me, retcon, retcon. rather on this. Um what I would encourage you, people to do instead of me boring you with, with my interpretation of it, just go to uh, the Star Wars wiki. Go to Wikipedia and look up Fen Shaisa and read about it because it has been largely retconned. He still fits. He still appears in the books and, and the, you know, the expanded universe and stuff like that. He, he was very active in that, especially in the, the Karen Travis uh, Clone Wars books, uh, Clone Trooper books and all that stuff. But they really had to do a lot of tap dancing to, you know, cover this story yeah. that, that he gave because now we know Boba Fett most definitely did not fight in the Clone Wars. You know, he was what ten years old at the time. So basically, how this well, they got don't they they don't as much say the Clone Wars. It could be post Clone Wars. You know, it could be in the years. No, between. no, it says Clone Wars right Does here. It say Clone Wars. Yeah, it says uh, Palpatine made his. Uh, but when Palpatine made his move to set up a galactic empire, the government of Mandalore sent us into the Clone Wars on the Emperor's yeah. side. Yeah. So that right there puts events out of order a little bit because the Clone Wars led to uh, Palpatine pro proclaiming himself emperor, not the other way around. Although, mm -hmm. I like this scenario, that Palpatine declaring himself emperor led to the Clone Wars. That's an interesting concept. I think that actually could have played out much better and would really, man, I mean, imagine the Clone Wars that's on TV now. That could be infinite or, you know, yeah. not infinite, but it could play out over potentially, you know, 19 years between 19, 20 years. Yeah. yeah. So I actually like this. The, the one part of this retcon that doesn't work for me, though, because basically take this picture right here with these three Mandalorians, replace Boba Fett with a character that was called... Um, Oh crap! Now I'm gonna blank on his name, but he was basically he was a first generation clone of Django, and that's kind of who they replaced Boba with in this story. And he became a character again in those Karen Travis books and stuff like that. So that takes care of the Boba part of the story. The other part of this story that I would argue even in this story doesn't make sense. Now, granted, we were never privy to exactly how far back 
before Star Wars, the Clone Wars took place. As a kid, I always had the impression that the Clone Wars had happened a long time ago. A long time ago, it seemed like, you know. So, but even if it had only happened, say, as much as, say, five to ten years earlier, that would mean that Princess Leia was only, you know, ten to fourteen years old. You know, or or actually like nine to fourteen years old because she's only nineteen in Star Wars. So this fact of of this guy, whoever this is, the Emperor or an agent of the Emperor or whoever this is, flashing Leia's picture around as an enemy of the Empire, even in this story, even without any retconning or without the prequel trilogy, that part of this story really doesn't work. Right, right. Because she wouldn't be that old yet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'd be curious to know the official answer on exactly how old Leia was when she became like, you know, quote unquote active. You know what I mean? As as an right. actual like agent of the rebellion or an agent of of discord leading to the rebellion or whatever. Actually, I think that might well, be. She was up. a senator for a while. And then. Yeah. And I know that Padme was supposed to have been what? Like, how old was she in? Phantom Menace. Like well, she was supposed to be like 15 14, or something, 15. 14 or 15, something so, like yeah, that. I yeah, I guess. Still, that places the Clone Wars only like four or five years before Star Wars. Yeah, they don't, yeah, they, they, they... And the way Luke talks about it in, in the first Star Wars, it just, don't, don't you get the impression it that sounds it sounds like someone talking about World War Two. Yeah, It sounds exactly, like us exactly. talking about World War Two. Yeah, because, you know, Ben Kenobi... But he old seemed man. older when we were younger. When I look at Ben, when I look at Alec Guinness now, I'm like, "Oh, he's not that old." Because <laughs> I'm well, barking know, on I his did, heels. I was watching Star Wars the other day. As a matter of fact, what I was watching was uh, was Star Wars Begins the other day. Ah, yes, and uh, and got to doing some math in my head, and it. I don't think that the math meshes up in that. Because if you take Alec Guinness in Star Wars to be the same age as the character that he was himself because he passed his, what was it? 62nd. I want to say something like that birthday on the set. It would make more sense if he was supposed to be like 50 years old. Exactly. He, he is a full, the way I figured it, he was about a full 10 years older. Well, I figure this tattooing uh, one year on tattooing is two years on any other planet. Cause it sucks so uh, hard there. I, so I mean, he's I a little more weathered than his, yeah. uh, I understand what you're going for, but I I would rather that the prequels had had to measure up to him rather than now he has to measure up to the prequels. I think that's unfair. You know what I mean? Yeah, it certainly is. He's dead. (laughs) No, I don't mean that. I just mean that, you know, damn it, his iteration came first. So I don't think he should be retconned. You know what I mean? Right. Because he was first. You know, he, he, he set the template for that character. So now why should there have to be fiddle fuckery to make him fit? He was right. there first. Right, right. Work it so, all around what's there. But, yeah. yeah, well. I tried to do the math going backwards, and it just doesn't work out. Yeah. because that ex- I don't even try, man, because I don't want to hurt my brain. That's all. <laughs> you know, it's like, why, why get the mental equivalent of a hernia? Right. Try, trying to Trying to, you know trying to make something match up that George Lucas screwed up in 10 minutes, you know, by, or, you know, or whatever. Well, the reason I do it is because ultimately I, I would like them to fit because I know I'll take crap for saying this, but I, I like the prequels. I do, you know, I've come to embrace them 
you know, and, and I want all of it to fit in one nice, neat little package. So I do actually spend time thinking about things like why the hell doesn't Owen Lars recognize C-3PO and trying to come up with no prize explanations and shit. I do because I, I want everything to be in a nice, neat little package. So that's why I spent a sizable amount of time online. Well, recently. I, I look at 3PO like a, like a garbage disposal, you know? It, uh, uh, if 20 years down the line, like somebody comes and sells you used garbage disposal, are you going to go, holy shit, this was my garbage disposal? Yeah, but that's different with something that walks and talks and, and yeah. But if there's a whole shitload of them that look like that, you know, how many yeah. of those golden, you know? Here, here's the no prize I eventually came up with, and I wish to God that we had gotten this either in the movie or even better yet. How easy would it have been to do it in the books? One of the things reading the novelization of uh, Revenge of the Sith that I was deeply disappointed in was that I was really hoping that it would expand the scene where Kenobi drops Luke off with the Larses. And it, right, right. And I was so disappointed with that because something happened at that time. I'm convinced that there was a conversation there and something happened. And that's why late years later, Owen was so bitter towards Ben right. Kenobi. That something happened there. I, I don't know if it was a resentment that Kenobi dumped this kid on him and now he would have this vast responsibility of protecting Luke all of his life, you know? Or well, it's the simple – it's this, the attitude of the simple farmer. He's a simple farmer. Right. All right. And and he's got Luke and now Luke is his son and, you know, or you know, basically is – you know, fits the role of his son – and he wants Luke to be a simple farmer too and enjoy the simple joys of being a farmer. But, you know, he knows his history and he knows, you know, he probably knows if Ben Kenobi starts coming into the picture again that that's going to screw up, right. you know, everything. It's like the right. Amish It's like the Amish father, you know, with his daughter at the right. when she starts making out with Harrison Ford or whatever. I think three <laughs> things happened. I think Owen blamed Kenobi for the death of Anakin Skywalker. I, or, or, or better. Yeah. I think that Kenobi told Owen what happened so that, that Owen would be prepared. God forbid, should Vader ever show up looking for Luke. Right. Or, or just show up there period because, you know, Owen was his brother. Now my whole family's in danger. In danger. Exactly. That was the other half of it is that not only did he blame Kenobi for what happened to Anakin, he also would blame Kenobi because now his entire family was placed in jeopardy, including his new bride. And he would be very rightly right, right to be like that because it ends up, he ends up dead because of it. Basically. And this, and this occurred to me the other day, Kenobi was privy to the knowledge that C-3PO's mind was wiped to protect the identity of Leia and Luke. So I'm thinking that Kenobi told Owen about 3PO's mind wipe. And that's why when 3PO showed up there, Owen didn't make a big deal about it being 3PO because he knew damn well that 3PO wouldn't remember him. I mean, it's sketchy. But it's the best no prize I can think of. It, it fits a hell of a lot better than Owen just being too stupid to remember a droid that lived with him for 10 well, years. Yeah, but I still see that droid being uh, like, you know, a model of a car, you know. 
and there's red ones and blue ones, but they all pretty much look the same, you know? Yeah, but and I if mean, it a, was a card like, if, doesn't have a personality to the point where it speaks to you and interacts with you and says, yes, sir, I'll go out and yeah, take... Yeah, that's true. Now, you know? And again, the person that I know that I call C-3PO is one of the most annoying people in the world, <laughs> and I only had a short experience with him, certainly not five years. And if I ever heard his voice in a crowd, I would cringe and be like, oh, shit, it's that asshole again. So, yeah, you're right. He would – as soon as 3P opened his mouth, he'd be like, oh, Christ, not this buzzkill again. See, I know this story yeah. is – I'm pretty sure but, this story you know. is not considered canon. But the story where Darth Maul comes back and he comes to the Lars homestead. And Kenobi shows up to protect Luke. And at this point, Luke is, uh, he, I think he's a little older than a toddler, you know, somewhere between a toddler and a, and a, whatever the next step right. is, tyke, you know, and nipper and, uh, <laughs> nipper and, and, uh, Lars after the battle is over. Lars fusses out Kenobi and tells him, basically, get the hell off my land. Yep. Get off my yard. And I remember thinking at the time that while that rang true, it was like, God damn it. Why is this guy so bitter towards Kenobi? You know? And I think... Because he doesn't want people fighting in his yard over fucking kid, you know? Right. But it's <laughs> I don't saying, want I, none of that hoo-ha going I, I around around here. Great, I think there's a great story in there somewhere. I think that that needs to be explored. What happened in that in the final closing moments of Revenge of the Sith? What happened when Kenobi showed up with Luke Skywalker at the Lars homes? I would love to get that story. I hope we do someday because I'm telling you, I think that there's some real good. You should write it. Yeah, Yeah, I'm thinking about it. To be honest with you, I'm thinking about it. I think I've got that story in me. Because I, I'm fascinated. I am honestly fascinated with Owen Lars. Because over the years, I, I've come to kind of resent the, the, the very one-dimensional portrayal of him as just this bitter old bastard. Because I think that... Well, he doesn't have it, a lot of screen was, time, so there's not no, a lot of time to develop his character. Exactly. He doesn't. And, I, and that's why I think he, he does come across as extremely one-dimensional, because that's really all we ever see is him fussing and being an old grouch to, <laughs> you know, to Luke. Well, when I was a kid, I always thought he was kind of a dick. But now that, you know, now that I'm older and I watch it, I totally can sympathize with him. You know, I could totally see where he's coming from. Not all, just, Especially when I see yeah. how annoying Luke is that I didn't notice when I was a kid. <laughs> Well, not know, I looked just, up to Luke. You know, not just that. Uh, I, I think what it is, I'm starting to realize that Owen Lars may be one of the unsung heroes of Star Wars. If he really was privy to all this knowledge, which I'm, I'm really starting to convince myself that he was, that he knew what happened. You know, yeah, yeah, to, and he kept Anakin. his, he kept the lid on it. He kept the lid on it. He raised Luke as his own. He That's... tried his best to protect Luke and keep Luke from falling down the same dark path as his father. And, and paid with his life. And he paid for it with his life. He protected well, Luke with his life. If that's not the definition of a hero, I don't know what is. And this that, guy, he had no obligation to Anakin Skywalker. He met Anakin Skywalker for what? A fucking afternoon? Right, exactly. But, um, you know, I mean... Um, you can see, I mean, in Star Wars, in the kitchen scene, when they're when they're all talking, there's so much 
unspoken stuff going between him and Baru, you know? Oh, yeah. That, that yeah, there's, so that you could read uh, anything you need to in, in, into there. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm assuming that he did know pretty much. I, I, I it would be, it, it would be out of character for Obi-Wan Kenobi not to tell him, you know, to trick him into, to, you know, it wouldn't be very Jedi-like to trick Owen into being the caretaker of the kid and endangering his life, you know, he would, because that's not the only option. I mean, Obi-Wan could have taken care of him or, you know, or something that I don't know what he would have done with like a little baby, but it would have been a great light comedy, Obi-Wan and a little baby. <laughs> well, also, I, I think that, I, I think that could also help, it, it could go a long way to explain one of the things I wondered about, why the hell didn't they change Luke's last name? And I yeah. think that that could, that could definitely, this could go a long way to explaining that, that Owen loved his stepmother. You know, I, I think he honestly did loved her as, as, as his own mother. And I'm thinking that maybe there was some sense of, uh, of obligation or, or devotion or something to the fact that, you know, while he may not have known his brother very well or, or really even cared for him or anything like that, you know, this was now her grandson. And I, I can just, I can picture in my mind, I can actually hear Owen Lars saying something to the effect of, I'll be damned if I'll, if I'll deny this child, you know, that the Skywalker name or, or, you know, some words to that effect. His family you know what I name, mean? yeah, yeah. But that then I, again, yeah, Skywalker may not be. You know, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it might be like Smith. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You know, there might be a. You know, the one thing I think that would have been held from Owen, though, the one thing I think that uh, that Kenobi wouldn't have told him is I don't think he would have told him about Leia. You know what I mean? I, I think right. he gave he gave Owen one half of the puzzle and left it at that. Yeah, but uh, it it definitely is interesting to to speculate on, and it, and it it definitely changes. It screws my... up all sorts of things. It, it, it screws up. It screws up when you know when he says that boy's our last hope, and and Yoda says no, there's another. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. because Obi Wan knows as much as Yoda about the whole thing. You know. He's just up on the Luke and Leia thing as as Yoda is, so he should he shouldn't be. That's a good but, point, you know. except that, um, I I doubt it would be for sexist reasons or anything like that. But maybe the just the natural assumption that is, if either one of them is gonna, nah. uh, come up to a a uh, take after Jedi, their father, yeah, take after their father but, in a Jedi. Yeah, sense, but I mean, Luke. they 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 took real pains to show that there were lots of female Jedi's. In the, you know. Well, maybe Obi Wan is just a sexist bastard then. He could be, yeah. <laughs> there was, he was always a little effeminate, you know, so maybe he just didn't like women at all, you know, so he didn't want to work with one. You know, he liked. Obi Wan like... was effeminate? Well, actually, no, I'm sorry, that's right. He did almost get a girlfriend in the Clone Wars cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> but he always seemed kind of fussy, you know what I mean? Look a little kind of fuss oh, budgety. English, I don't know. mean to. Oh yeah, that's right. I keep forgetting. <laughs> that's right, because all British people are gay. That's what you're saying, isn't it? You yeah, exactly. That, yeah, that's what I meant. 
and I know. No, and our, our, our sec- well, the second uh, the second largest downloader of of Two True Freaks comics is the UK. So, <laughs> sorry guys. All what I meant, and you know it. There <laughs> is only a, half oh, of you oh, British guys are gay, and it's not the ones who listen to Two True Freaks. And the ones who are gay, hey, you know, I don't have a problem with it. Go ahead, you should listen to Two True Freaks too. <laughs> And if oh, you are, hey, no offense, I, man. Some of my best I friends are knew, gay Star Wars fans. I knew there was something I was forgetting, and you just reminded me. And Uh-oh. thank you for doing it because I would was feel... Was it the gay talk or the British talk? It was the you? British talk. Okay. Our buddies at Hey Kids Comics. I, I'm going to uh, go yes. ahead and plug their, uh, plug their promo into this episode anyway, but I meant to mention them and publicly thank them. They... You know, we exchanged uh, promos with each other a while back, and <laughs> damned if they didn't go and put our promo right at the beginning of their show, the very next episode. And I was like, while I was very touched, I was like, that was kind of weird. You know, it was it was like, I mean, because their show should start with their opener, you know, in, in my opinion. But it started. Nah, it could start <laughs> with was like, oh. So <laughs> I thought that was very, very awesome of them. I would, they could call it Two True Freaks present Hey Kids Comics if they want. You know? <laughs> but anyway, if you guys haven't heard it or haven't heard of it, it's a it's a podcast. Um, I want to say it's a brand new podcast, but I think they they've got a a, a good what they, they, dozen or so episodes. Yeah, they, they, they're, they're they're putting them they're putting them out regularly. They're, they're, it's definitely safe to say they've got a podcast going. You know what I'm you know yep. what I mean. It's not like oh they're gonna do a couple of them and get bored and and get done. They got they got a a good little dynamic going in, and you can tell they're having fun. And that's yes, the number one thing. You know, as soon as some as soon as you listen to someone having fun, it's fun to listen to. But check them out. It, it's called uh, Hey Kids Comics is the name of it. It's uh, Andrew and Michael Leland. They're a father and son podcast team. They're absolutely hysterical, and the current crop of episodes they've got out right now, they've been covering Star Wars, and they covered Star Wars, Empire, and Return of the Jedi. They're covering the Marvel Comics adaptations of those three films, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And you in know? the Great Minds Think Alike, alike ca- category, when they were doing the Star Wars comics, they also noticed how much... When um, Darth Vader and uh, Grand Moff Tarkin are meeting to chit chat, that how much it looks like they're in an empty club with a couple DJs you know, <laughs> playing the Miko Star Wars or whatever, you know. Or it's, <laughs> you know the. But definitely check them out. Tell them Two True Freaks sent you because uh, I really dig their show. And uh, fingers crossed, we want to have them on our show pretty soon and do some sort of a. Yeah, a crossover team up type of thing because those guys are well, they're reminds, just hella funny. And it I reminds enjoy. me of what we were talking about the other night, and this is what I love about getting into podcasts. And it was something we had a little bit of friction at the beginning with, because when we first started podcasting, which wasn't that long, you know, it was what what three years ago now? It's almost three 25 years, five years ago now. Yeah, something like but, that. Uh, but yeah, back in you know fifty nine when we started podcasting. Um. You know, we, we, we met with a lot of when we first started doing our show, you know, of course, there were a lot of people who were very encouraging and there were a lot of people who helped us on our way. But a lot of the people that we sort of looked up to at first were kind of not I wouldn't say necessarily discouraging to us. It wasn't that kind of conversation where they were addressing us. But, 
you know, they were addressing us in a way because right. they were talking about, oh, there's too many people trying to do podcasts and it's it's glutting the market and there's only so many people that want to listen to comic book podcasts and, you know, Chris, and all that. Chris, Chris, you were being much too kind. Just call a spade a spade. They were being dicks, you know. Yeah, they, they were, were very, they to... were very threatened by new yeah. podcasts. They did not like the idea of new podcasts. They thought there's only so many people. They, they're listening to us. They should be listening to us. More people just muddies the water and takes right. away from the people who've been here for a long time and working really hard to do it and do it right and then all these other people. And, you know, and Scott and I instantly were, like, completely 180 degrees from that. And it's starting to, uh, as, you know, the, and it, it influenced a lot of how we podcast mm-hmm. was that conversation and us having long conversations where we're, we don't want to get like that. We want it to be that, you know, I, I've noticed when there's something new or fairly new or fresh and a lot of people are doing it, if you have other people encouraging other people to do it and then those people start doing something and they take a couple pages from your book and and they put it in there and then they put their spin on it and they add their flavor to it. And then, you know, and then you start seeing it and going, hey, that's really cool. And you can see your fingerprint in it. But then you take a little element from theirs and add it into your mixture, you know, that that you like. And all of a sudden you get this dynamic of people feeding off each other. And, you know, um, like uh, and like um, and recently we had um, Luke uh, Giaconetti started doing a podcast. Yeah. And uh and everything just starts, you know, people start promoting each other and, and and feeding off it. And you end up with this really great creative dynamic. And, you know, I guess it's that that where it forks off from what, where are you like, are you trying to set up a, a monetary thing where you're doing a professional show that you're eventually going to sell? Or if you're trying to do something that ends up being something that you would want to listen to, you know, and that other people would want to listen to. And that that you're having fun with it is it's almost as a hobbyist sort of philosophy to it, and uh, that's where I think the action is. That's where the interesting stuff is. You know, the people who are trying to do radio shows or whatever they sound like radio shows, and there and there's nothing wrong with them. But you know, where where the dynamic new interesting stuff is happening is with the people who are just sitting down and having fun. They're taking something they love and they're making a podcast about it and they're feeding off everybody's energy. I know we go into this rant a lot or maybe I do, but you know, I don't think it can be said enough. And I, and I love it. I think we're, we, it's, there's just, I had a a teacher that I hated in film school, hated that bastard. But, uh, (laughs) um, he had, he, he had a term that's always stuck with me and it's called the creative cyclotron. And he's like, sometimes you get that, you know, you get a group of people and everybody's on the same wavelength and you get a creative cyclotron going. And I can see it. I can see it happening. All sorts of, you know, not just one, but all different in all different places, little cyclotrons going of people, you know, little groups of podcasts that are all feeding off each other. And it's awesome. It's awesome. And you know what? Haven't run out of room yet. I haven't felt I haven't felt cramped of you. (laughs) No, it hasn't felt no, any different. I, it hasn't felt any different for me. I I I love seeing new podcasts pop up. It's, it's I, I it's do awesome. too because I I tell you what you know we we definitely do feed on each other and I think we grow off of each other oh, yeah. because I can't tell you the number of times 
that I've checked out some new podcast that's come along and heard them plug us, you know, either as a, you know, as a source of inspiration or just a show that they listen to, or even a couple of times going, you know, I had fucking guys at two true freaks, but Hey, you know, (laughs) you know, know, as they say, you know, any publicity is good publicity. So there you go. You know, so, you know, I want to continue to do the same thing. When it, when I find a new podcast that I, I love and enjoy, I want to pass that on to other people. This, uh, at this point, I still think that's the best way podcasting gets spread around is still word of mouth. You know, yeah. When you're oh, yeah. when you're listening to, you know, word Michael Bailey, and you hear is... Michael Bailey talk about the podcast that he's listening to, if you enjoy Michael Bailey and you respect the opinions that he's been laying down over the course of why you've been listening to him, then more than likely you'll go and check out those shows. I know he's driven traffic to our, our site just by talking us up because people respect that guy. That's what I want to try to do that for God knows whatever reason people actually respect our opinions. Well, okay, then here's, I'm going to tell you, here's, here's the podcast. I like go check him (laughs) out. So if we could talk you into watching that cheesy movie, you know, we should definitely be able to talk people into going to listen to quality podcasts. Exactly. <laughs> and that's definitely, definitely what Hey Kids Comics is. It is a quality podcast. It cracks me up. I yeah. really enjoy it. Yeah. Very much. It, it's uh, it's just got a very good dynamic to it. I, it I, the, you know, the interplay between the two of them, it's really good to hear a father and son getting along and having fun. And having those father and son moments, you know, and and all that, but it's 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 great, you know. It's and and if you look, if you go and watch TV and you see like some weird thing, something involving fathers and sons, it's probably some cynical, you know, right, dystopian comedy or or something like that. Or it's the father is the guy who runs the biker chop shop, and his sons are all these weird like. <laughs> or it's like Dog the Bounty Hunter, you know. Those are the family story, the the Osbournes. Those are the family stories you see right. in popular culture. And you know, I don't know, man. I'd rather I'd rather experience the reality of like that. So yeah, that's. I mean, beyond the com- they can be talking about any comic book. That's the magic of it. They can be talking about a comic book I've never read, that I never will read, that I never care to read, you know, and. I'm still up for I'm still up for it all the way, you know. It's 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 and it doesn't matter. It's not what they're talking about. It's it's the it's the messengers, not the message. <laughs> in that case, and and yeah, you you owe it to yourselves to to listen to that podcast and the Earth De- Destruction Directive. All right, podcast, I think we've which, uh, kissed the Leland's asses enough. That check better fucking clear now. Is all I know. Um, <laughs> moving along. I, I, I want to go back kisses to the across the ocean. I want to rectal kisses across the. I want to go back to the zones. issue for just a moment because I actually did have just a couple other notes here. <laughs> that uh, it's not quite a two-page spread, but it's just about in the middle of the book where. Uh, oh where Jesus! Th- we're talking about the comic again. Okay. Yeah, where where three PO goes <laughs> to uh, to Dengar, you know where Dengar's captive. Uh-huh. He says. Oh bother! All right, that's Winnie, Winnie the, the Pooh. Pooh. That's <laughs> yeah. uh, C-3PO. I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> I, I made, bother. I made uh, made sure at the end of the story to mention that this is not a Scout Walker, an ATST. This is an AT 
AR, which is an all-terrain uh, advanced raider. And the reason I, I made that distinction, I was looking at this picture on that last page and going, wow, you know, that really jogs memory. And not just because, you know, this was a, a comic I, chi- I cherished from my childhood, but I kept looking at that going, it's just that picture's really familiar to me. And it finally occurred to me, if you flip-flop the ATAR in that picture, it's almost exactly the same picture and the same pose and everything as the cliffhanger ending to um, – did you ever read the uh, the Al Williamson drawn um, comic strip, the Star Wars comic strip? Yes. The end of the first. Well, actually, I don't know if it's it was actually the end, when it was done as a comic strip, but when it was reprinted in Dark Horse Comics as classic Star Wars, mm-hmm. the cliffhanger ending to issue one had Luke and Leia um, cornered by an ATAR. That was aiming its gun down at them, just like on this last page right here. Yeah. On this, they, he probably used it for a reference. Yeah, and but you know, it's just you flipped. can see a, a, a good bit of Al Williamson in these oh. last few issues, really. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. That that you know, I don't know if it was a, a ripoff or an homage or what exactly it was, but it's definitely. I mean, it's the same exact pose, just flip flopped. You know, just mirrored mm-hmm. over but I, th- I thought that was really cool i don't know if it, it was a, a, you know considered to be a callback or what um just a quick note that uh both fen shisa and toby dalla have been immortalized as action figures oh right yeah i'm still you have a fen to- shisa don't you yeah i have a fen shisa and uh yeah it's it's definitely one of the uh the the treasured Star Wars figures of my meager collection. I really don't have many Star Wars toys anymore, but when I found out that they did a, a Fen Shisa action figure, I had to own one, and he's he's awesome. I really like him. There is a Toby Dalla one, and I'm hunting that one, but that one I want to, you know, it's got to be on the cheap because I'll be honest, you know. Yeah, uh, you're not too happy I mean, to have it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's he's not as big a deal, and, you know, we'll see next issue, you know, what the deal is with, uh, with Toby Dalla. But I'd still, you know, just the fact that any any of the Marvel comics um, characters? I just hear Toby Toby Dallo. <laughs> you know any of these uh, characters that that came out of Marvel Star Wars that have been immortalized as action figures? I, I've been making an effort to try to get them because I just think that's awesome. I, it's so nice to me to see, you know this this. Them digging that deep into the marketing. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah well, that's <laughs> it's true. It's working to your advantage, but yeah, but that's. Yeah, you know, I, I I like it when Marvel Star Wars gets some love because for such a long time it just seemed to get nothing but crap from people, but people seem to slowly be coming around to finding the the greatness within, you know. And I the like greatness that. within. I like that. I, I think there is. I think there's a lot of inherent. Oh yeah. It's in this series. Yeah, there's some cheese and there's some... No, they're my favorite Star Wars comics of all oh, the Star Wars comics. Absolutely. So there you go. Absolutely. I love this stuff. Um, you had mentioned the Dark Crystal ad. I thought that was really cool. And it's a full page thing, too. That's really neat. <coughs> then it's got one of the crappiest crap, 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 <laughs> garbage, crap, shit, piece of idiot... The Saga of Kristar. 
Crystal Warrior coming soon. Just such an obvious marketing attempt. And well, it's got the stu- dumbest tagline at the bottom. It's great. Buy it. Um, no, it's not. It and, actually uh, sucked uh, monkey yeah. balls. <laughs> yeah, I think that and, uh, I think that we could actually sue on the basis of false advertising. Well, you can tell that it was like a, a toy series because at the bottom – it's got the names of all the characters with the copyright symbols in between each. Oh, you know, my God. You're it's right. Kristar, like Warbo, Calibar, Koth, Stalax, Moltar, Magma <laughs> Men. <laughs> this is the dumbest name ever. Feldspar, Ogeode, Zardeth, Crystallium, Ambara, and Lavor. Lavor? Is that the black? Is that the black um, <laughs> Kristar warrior? Lavar. Lavar Burton. Uh, and, yeah. Feldspar, Feldspar. That sounds like a piece to a bicycle when you're putting it together or something, it's, doesn't it? It's just a, it's I just remember having like one of those my dad had used to have all these like just like science things when we were kids and you know like little boxes with a little piece of rock glued inside and a little label on it and I remember seeing a of uh, some feldspar in there, you know, it's just a, it's a type of. It, you could tell that this is just. It's great, buy it. And I remember seeing it, and it was, and remember, oh, I can't remember who did the art, but it was just a wretched, horrible. If you don't saw, buy it, if you saw a movie poster that said it's great, watch it. Would you? No, I probably I wouldn't trust that. You don't trust that. That's just too blatantly too. It's so desperate, <laughs> you know. Des- exactly. You know? Too pleading. Really, really. I, I am a good movie. I promise. Come on. When you have to tell some somebody your product is great, then there's a problem. Right. Instantly. Exactly. Instantly. But yeah, I had to mention that as soon as I saw that, I was like, I remember that. It was not great, and I did not buy it. Shit, that that reminds me. I think we need to go to our homepage and take uh, It's Great, listen to it off of the... Oh, shit. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. 
Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. So, um... Um, let's see, where am I here? I sort of went off on a tangent and lost my spot on the... Okay. No problem, Um, we can fix it all in editing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in that case, we're being... Yeah, but you know, you and I both know that that's directly from the heart. It's completely (laughs) honest and humble. It's great. Objective assessment of the show. (laughs) <laughs> so next time we will be uh looking Concluding at this conclu- story yeah we will c- we conclude the uh introduction of fen Scheiss's story also we will be covering uh 70 and 71 which uh again uh introduction of another a couple of characters that uh, i really 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 like from this era and some other stuff too that I can't remember exactly. I think it might actually get into the first chapter of uh, of Luke's little fish friends. There, doesn't it? It might. Yeah. I, so I, it's hard for me to remember because I get this whole time period jumbled. You know, as far as the order and stuff, which stuff happened. But it'll be fun finding out. Mm-hmm. And okay, well, I think we've held your attention for long enough this time. And uh, if you're out there and you have a promo for your podcast, send it to us and we'll play it. And we'll probably kiss your butt on the next episode that we do. <laughs> Excellent. I think that's all I got. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's going to be like a two and a half hour show. So.